0: Calling all readers and bookaholics, the very stupid host of this show has decided to branch off into the literary world and pen his own follow-up to the critically acclaimed fly-tying true crime novel The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson. The sequel nobody asked for, especially Kirk Wallace Johnson, is called The Great Zonker Caper, and it's coming to a bookstore near you. In Marty's hair-raising follow-up novella, the main character, Edwin Rist, who is famously busted for stealing birds from a natural history museum, has paid his fines and has moved on from his embarrassing early life of crime, but he simply can't shake the nagging urge to steal fly-tying materials. Instead of a museum in England, this time he finds himself deep in the Ozarks hunting for a prized collection of albino squirrel pelts being hoarded by a mysterious hillbilly gang. He wants those pelts bad so he can bring them home and cut them into zonker strips and dye them any color he pleases. This is the only way his leeches will ever be one of a kind. The great zonker caper takes readers on a wild adventure through dangerous land and crossing paths with all sorts of interesting characters edwin even eats squirrel meat for the first time and doesn't vomit or have diarrhea brought to you by the same publishing team that brought you the podcaster's manual this tome is also on sale for 1 dollar per page and at just under 400 pages it's a high value title pre-order your copy today at amazoncom slash epubpdf download epubpdf slash downloading, slash ePub.pdf, slash downloaded today. Hello out there. It's me. It's
1: me! Your dear friend, Mark. I don't know who you are. I'm telling you right here. Here once again to hack together a bunch of bullshit about tying flies and fishing and whatever else I feel like into the show that I call Secret Society of Fly Tires.
2: If you can handle that, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right.
1: I use the term show really lightly because what the hell is this? I'm not really looking for an answer. I'm just shouting into the digital void. It's where I operate best after all, in the void nothing is too stupid in the void and that's a big part of what has driven me to make these shows the urge to be stupid the older i get the more i realize how important being stupid and laughing is i hope that you do too
0: we do mark we all actually think you're so cute and smart when you act stupid
1: there's another natural urge that pretty much every dedicated angler has and that is to someday make it to alaska to witness its wild beauty That's why I interviewed my buddy J.D. Ritchie for this episode. He spent a lot of time there, whipping a jet boat around the waters of the Togiak River, helping anglers live out what is often at the top of their bucket list, catching wild salmon in Alaska, alongside hungry grizzly bears doing the same thing.
0: Lord, I do not want to be hurt by a bear, I do not.
1: The mosquitoes there, that are almost as big and as mean as grizzly bears, don't really give a shit about the salmon, outside of the fact that the salmon draw in delicious humans for them to feast on. Two other natural urges that everyone has are 1. to grab a goose by the neck and either strangle it or whip it around your head a few times like a lasso and or 2. yank a cat's tail off I told you in the last episode that mice regrow their tails like lizards do when they lose them Maybe cats do too We aren't even allowed to try and prove this true or false Wily animal rights activists keep shutting down my GoFundMe pages that I make in my feeble attempts to raise the money I'd need to study this in a scientific environment with trained professionals, so the public will likely never know the truth. No one out there besides me is willing to put their neck on the line for this research.
0: That's why we'll always have your back, Marty. Ride or die.
1: Speaking of necks, I don't even think I need to expand on the goose thing. One attacked my grandpa when he was a younger man, and one attacked my buddy Steve's dad just last year. It did some serious damage, too. People talk about cats being sort of the pawns of the devil. I think it's geese. He captured this footage
2: of a goose attacking a swimmer Saturday afternoon at Barton Springs.
1: They hiss, they're evil, and God gave them the most squeezable rope-like necks in all of the animal kingdom for a reason. Is there anyone out there that enjoys the sound of a goose honk? The honk only beckons you to give in to your natural urge and grab their neck even more. There are unfortunately geese in Alaska, so like they often do for me on my home river, there's a good chance the sound of their annoying honk might interrupt the silence that you were hoping to experience during your future trip to the last frontier. Alaska seems like it could get real quiet too, which is very appealing to me. It's becoming increasingly hard for me to achieve quiet no matter where I go. Alaska seems like a place where you could see for miles around you in every direction and not hear or see anyone or anything. Hello! 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 Hello. A cold, moon-like landscape, ready to remind us all of how easy we have it back home in our warm 2014 Toyota Priuses. Would I end up finding it unsettling to exist in such a quiet place? so quiet that i can hear my blood pumping and ligaments stretching i kind of miss my kids saying hey dad look at this already and i haven't even
0: gotten to alaska yet the small man in the glasses who wanted nothing but time now just a part of a smashed landscape just a piece of the rubble just a fragment of what man has needed to himself in the twilight zone
1: The quiet in Alaska may also seem kind of ominous and unsettling to me because of the many weird stories that come out of the area. I remember reading about HARP almost 20 years ago. You know, the Alaskan antenna farm that may or may not play a part in controlling the weather and other natural disasters like earthquakes and wildfires along with alleged mass mind control. HARP stands for High Frequency Active Oral Research Program, and it was established in 1993 in Gakona, Alaska probably by US government or military lizards. People don't stop with this one and continue to blame all kinds of things on it. Is there any truth to it? A group of people referred to as experts told AAP Fact Check that HARP has no impact on the troposphere or stratosphere where planes fly and weather occurs, period. But isn't that exactly what they print to throw us off the trail?
0: Of course. Matty boy boy boy. boy.
1: I make up sources all the time. I ask my friends to pretend to be fake scientific professionals for my show whenever I need one. It's only one friend, actually. I beat the same joke into the ground over and over again because it still makes me laugh. Why wouldn't the military and intelligence groups lie to us now so they can keep doing what they want how they want to for a while longer? Look at MKUltra as an example. Moving on to other Alaska weirdness, you know there's a community of Yeti or whatever out there. I don't even need to drill down too deep on this one. There aren't many better places for a snow Bigfoot to live without being noticed. I'm not sure the people who live in Alaska would even care. Bigfoot families probably show up and get in line at the Yeti Dog's food truck just like everyone else. I'm Peter Kane, President of the Bigfoot community. President of
0: the Bigfoot community. President of the Bigfoot community. This is gorgeous documentation and the sounds of its environment are incredible. That right there is a large fish that mermaids use to transport themselves long distances.
1: I think I mentioned it in my very first interview with Alaska resident and owner of Midnight Sun Custom Flies, Jonathan Farmer. But Tom DeLong has been talking about a, quote, underground pyramid in Alaska since at least September of 2021. He claims it's bigger than Giza and has been studied by government and intelligence officials for years. He touched on it during an appearance on the Peer Pleasure podcast, saying that the defense contractors in charge of the research project believe it may be somehow suppressing human consciousness.
2: There's a pyramid and it's underground. And they've been studying it for decades yeah it's yeah. bigger than giza it's not that far from valdez i believe and uh, i know a very important person from the pentagon that met with one of the lead defense contractors that were studying it and they were told him they said we think we finally know what it's doing it's all turned on we think it's suppressing consciousness that's what he said
1: after an earthquake scientist supposedly noticed an anomaly in seismographic data that located this pyramid structure, they dug tunnels to find it and have been studying it ever since. Tom isn't the only member of the UFO community that has made this strange claim either. Peabody Award winner and longtime UFO researcher Linda Moulton Howe has been talking about it for even longer than Tom has, and she claims it's about 50 miles from Mount McKinley. There's even a real recent missing person story about a man named Nathan Campbell that went on a personal expedition to find this pyramid in 2020 and was never heard from again. It possibly ties in with a pretty crazy story that psychic co-pioneer of the remote viewing program, Ingo Swann told in his book, Penetration as well. Ingo writes of being asked if he'd like to see a UFO and being taken on a strange Lear jet by a government agent named Axelrod and a strange pair of twins to a dark landing strip in the middle of nowhere. That, thanks to Reddit's sleuths, was found to most likely be a runway near Lake Minchumina. After landing, they take a van for about two hours, and then they walk 40 minutes to a location where they wait to see this UFO. I'll pull a quick quote from Ingo's book to let him describe what he saw. There we were, four of us, sitting silently like rocks. Suddenly, the two twins gave a hand signal, and Axel whispered, It has begun. I couldn't see anything unusual at all save for what appeared to be some grey fog forming up in the direction of the lake. I thought it was just morning fog coming up. This fog continued forming for about 5 minutes and suddenly I saw what had begun. For in a moment's eye flicker, the grey fog changed. First into luminous neon blue, and then into this angry purple. A network of purple, red and yellow lightning bolts shot in all crazy directions through the cloud. And then there it was. Somewhat transparent at first, but in the next second as if fading up out of nowhere, there it was. Solidly visible over the lake whose reflecting waters I could now clearly see, and it was getting bigger. I don't really know what I expected, but I had assumed that what I would see if anything would be something like a flying saucer. No chance of a saucer here, baby, because it was triangular and at its top angle sort of inverted in pulses and overall it appeared to be a diamond shape. At that moment, in my astonishment, we could hear a wind coming and it moved past us like a tangible magnetic field, rustling the pine trees around us so much that some cones and branches fell on us. Ruby red laser-like beams began shooting out from this thing, which incredibly was now growing even bigger while still stationary in its original position over the lake. The scene he describes is pretty wild and is said to take place in the same general area as the supposed underground pyramid, known amongst weirdos like me as the Alaskan Triangle. If psychic weirdness and UFOs ring your bell like they do mine, I recommend you check out the book. He went on to describe his last sight of the silent floating diamond as it pulled the water out of the lake upward like a waterfall being sucked into the machine. For about a week when I was in 8th grade, I woke up with a perfect circle imprinted on the palm of my hand that was a little smaller than 2 inches in diameter. I was as terrified as I imagined Ingo was while he watched that weird craft gravity bong water out of the lake. I was being abducted by aliens every night while the rest of my family slept and no one could do anything about it. The thoughts of what they might be doing to me or where they might be taking me was making me lose sleep and was starting to affect my schoolwork. The mysterious abductors even left their telltale sign for me to see every morning. My paranoid teen brain eventually put together that the circle was an imprint of the top of the shower diverter on the faucet of the bathtub that I leaned on every morning when I turned the water on to start my day. Fire in the sky kinda screwed me up for a little while, okay? Anyway, we've really only dipped our toes into the ocean of Alaska weirdness. Have you heard of Talking Ear Boy?
0: No, but I hope you tell us right now because it sounds weird, cool, and believable
1: this alaskan phenomenon is said to be some type of spiritual possession that happens to young alaskan children and manifests itself by somehow morphing the inflicted child's ear into a mouth that speaks hey it's me talking ear boy hey kid it's me talking to your boy i definitely didn't just make a cheap attempt at an origin story for a weird thing that i do to my own kids by pinching one of their ears together into a little taco type shape and using it as a puppet every kid loves it try it for yourself Please don't try it on children you don't know already, though, because it's weird and stupid.
0: Hello, real cops? Yes, I'd like to register a complaint.
1: I like to threaten talking ear boy when he shows up and act like I'm going to brush his teeth or fill his mouth up with dirt, which is obviously my kid's ear hole. I don't think my kids actually enjoy it at any moment, but I do, and that's what matters. Did you really think I was going to get through an episode without making up a story? Not really. I really half-assed it this time, but I still did it. Here are some real facts about the Togiak area. Established in 1980, the Togiak National Wildlife Refuge covers 4.7 million acres of fish and wildlife habitat. It's home to three major river systems comprising over 1,500 miles of water, the Togiak, Kinectok, and Good News. The Good News is one of my favorite names of any river, but that's a totally different episode. More than a million salmon return to these waters each year to spawn. The northern 2.3 million acres of the refuge are designated as a wilderness area. The Togiak Wilderness covers about half of the refuge. Over 200 species of birds have been seen on the Togiak refuge, and it's home to 48 different mammals. Land mammals include wolves, moose, brown and black bears, coyotes, Canadian lynx, Arctic fox, muskrat, wolverines, red fox, boa constrictors, marmot, beaver, marten, two species of otter, and porcupine, and apparently more because I didn't name off 48 mammals there, and I might have slipped in a reptile. The community of Togiak is located at the head of Togiak Bay, 67 miles west of Dillingham, Alaska, within the refuge. As of the 2020 census, its population sat at 817. The city's economic base is primarily commercial salmon, herring, and herring-row-on-kelp fisheries. Anglers come from far and wide to wet their lines in Togiak's waters. My friend and guest today, J.D. Ritchie, has spent enough of his time guiding folks that travel there to almost call himself a resident at this point. He may not be some fancy Victorian salmon fly tire, in fact he definitely isn't one of those. He is what we refer to as a lifer. He's a true waterman, and if you've ever been lucky enough to fish with him, you'll quickly understand how much he loves doing it. I've had high fish count days with him, and been brutally skunked too. On those polar opposite days, I had the same amount of fun and learned an equal amount from JD. It's no wonder he's so well-respected out there by anglers of all types. We talked for a long time, so strap in and maybe get a snack or a beverage. Here's the chat I had with JD Ritchie earlier this winter. JD, thanks for joining me on the program, dude. I'm sure you knew that I'd be coming for you as soon as I told you that I started this silly show. uh, (laughs) You've been a a sensei of sorts for me as, as I've kind of wandered around the fishing world looking for my place as an angler and you were my first guide that i ever hired and i oh I never, you never
2: forget your first one
1: <laughs> right <laughs> I, i've definitely been on your boat more uh, than i've been out with any other guide i've been spin fishing with you pulled plugs thrown bobbers um, we fly fish the yuba river and we've we been resulted to a, a dirty almost unspoken hybrid of the two uh, throwing pink bass worms and swinging them on the end of a fly rod which <laughs> didn't didn't work that day according to my memory but it did for me a few days later out waiting on my own so oh good yeah um i don't like to follow rules okay which is why i have you on my fly tying podcast even though you <laughs> you're mostly known as a
2: conventional tackle guide even um, though i suck at fly tying I, <laughs> I i enjoy it greatly and and i tie a lot of uh uh marabou jigs for oh, yeah. you know been fishing so same same thing i guess you'd call yeah. it a balance leech but um you know i'm I'm really good with uh, uh oh you know making a bunny leech
1: <laughs> yeah yeah man uh, it's all but, fishing you know and, and you got to learn from the guys who know um yeah yeah so thank, well I'm, I'm
2: glad to be here and i'm stoked i love your podcast so thanks for having me thank you buddy are you ready to be interviewed oh well yeah as ready as a guy can be
1: <laughs> do, do you like do you like being interviewed uh yeah it's fine it's yeah. uh it's yeah okay why not I, I promise I have no tricks up my sleeves I'm not oh I'm not, come <laughs> on that's what I was hoping for actually I'm not a trickster any, uh, any, okay. any any YouTube links to old embarrassing bands you allegedly played in were out long <laughs> long ago and you know I just want to chat with you about fishing in Alaska and you know actually I do want to get one thing out of the way first um, my my baseball friends and I have a a silly long running joke that everyone in major league baseball who goes by jd does so because it's shorter short for jelly dick uh, has, oh. anyone, has anyone ever called you that
2: <laughs> well um maybe after some whiskey but uh, uh. Um, no that's actually the first time i've i've been called worse but right. um um and and probably that wouldn't be inaccurate here and there over the yeah. years, but uh, no, no, that's first time. So, I guess I'll never forget my first time either. Yeah,
1: well, I won't. I won't start it, but you know, <laughs> it, it works for all the two-letter first names to start with J. Like JT. <laughs> JT would be Jelly Tits. Uh huh. Yeah. JB might be Jelly Boy or Jelly Baby. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It works for all sports. Really, it just has to start with Jelly. Ah. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. I'm anyway, cool. How How are you, dude? I'm, I'm good. I'm sitting here watching it rain on, on, on the snow up here in Tahoe, wishing it was snowing instead, but all good.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're up in South Lake, right? And, um, yeah. where, where have you been fishing? Like what's, it's December right now. And we're talking, what, what, where are you fishing these days?
2: Uh, I I've been at pyramid. I fished all the way through Christmas Eve and I've been there since October. Uh, well, I don't fish the opener. So October 3rd on and I will continue to be fishing Pyramid until uh, my slip over here at Tahoe opens up, and that's May one. So I'll be here all winter and spring. And I, you know, I've been getting a bunch of people. I, I, yeah, as you know, I, I moved out of the valley where I was doing mm-hmm. river stuff for 25 years or whatever it's been because those fisheries are failing, and, and came up to Tahoe and Pyramid to fish on fisheries that actually have fish in them. Yeah, and, yeah, I meant to
1: mention that in my my little intro. Actually, I think I, I was on your boat on your last uh valley salmon season.
2: Yeah, yeah, it could have been. It's uh, <laughs> and that's where I was going with that. I've, I've still got a bunch of people going, Hey, you know, uh, are you gonna steelhead fish this year? And I keep saying, kind of, what part of <laughs> I don't do that anymore, don't you get? Yeah. But I did get a new drift boat again this year, and it kind of gave me the the fever again so i the long winded answer i might go do a few steelhead trips in february or march or something like that but other than that uh, i'm on pyramid and and tahoe and and alaska that's those are my my three places these days cool yeah pyramid's kind of new right you're doing that last few years yeah i've been fishing up there for a long time but uh getting the guide permit. I didn't do that until we, you know, moved out of Sacramento. It wasn't really feasible. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's been, I think this is the third guiding season over there, third or four, something like that.
1: Cool, man. That's a cool spot. I can't wait to go try it out. It's, it's been on my list for a bit, but it's, it's just kind of intimidating as like someone who's never been there to like, like right. to get, to get up and do that one, especially on my own. Like I definitely want to go out with somebody with a guide or something the first time yeah um, but i'm yeah. gonna get get up there eventually i want to do a do an episode on on pyramid too there's plenty of um conspiracy related topics <laughs> that i can do we have yeah. on that one easily
2: yeah it's um, all kinds of good stuff but it's it's an absolutely incredible world-class fishery and yeah i'm calling it you know you, you hear about jurassic lake down in argentina well this is the north american jurassic lake yeah. and that's a good um, comparison huh yeah, it really is. And I, in fact, I had uh, Nick Amato, who's the editor of Sam Trout Steelhead Magazine, mm-hmm. out on the boat last month or something, and he'd been to the one in Argentina, and he goes, "Cause I, I you know, that one's always intrigued me as well." And I was like, "Dude, what, you know, what, uh, what's, what, what do you think after fishing Pyramid a few days?" He goes, "Well, you know, the size of the fish is you know, real similar. The the, yeah. the fishing is." As far as action goes is real similar. He goes, This one's a lot easier to get to though. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. it's one of those places that, you know, bucket list type of deal, go down there and just do it. But he he kind of was of the, the mind that, yeah, well, you know, if you've seen this, you you might not need to go down there, yeah. but maybe we'll um, it, maybe just move it down the bucket list a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it still seems like a place a guy's got to go see. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing fishy world-class it's, it's pretty interesting to me as, as you sure know, I spent the last six years as the vice president of the NorCal guides and Sportsmen's association, mm-hmm. which our primary focus was trying to, uh, wrangle the feds, the state and all the powers that be to actually, uh, get more salmon in the rivers. Mm-hmm. And that's that that's a whole nother sideshow we can talk about but it's it's amazing to me being in the 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 politics side of it you would think we were asking them if we could beat up old ladies or something i mean it was it's like (laughs) you know it's like more salmon in the river hmm what's the uh i still not sure what the downside is but man they fought and they continue to fight us tooth and nail. And, 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 you know, we could do eight shows on that, but anyway, so my point of that was you go over to pyramid and you have a small group of tribal folks who operate a little hatchery essentially out of a, it's kind of like a doughboy swimming pool almost. Yeah, yeah. And they create a world-class fishery and it's like, okay, state of California has got, you know, the 10th largest economy in the world or whatever, and, and can't get out of its own way. And you got to, handful of natives over there going yeah we we got this yeah so it's a shining example of what what can be done if if you know you got people going in the right direction and they the Paiute Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribe over there does just a fantastic job of you know maintaining a fishery that's off the charts that's cool yeah Yeah.
1: it's that little success story reminds me kind of of what's going on on like the McCallumie the same kind of thing at that hatchery right
2: yeah yeah it's it's had a couple down years. Recently, but that's that's more the fact that they haven't had any water. Yeah, but yeah, that that's the same deal. Uh, Bill Smith, the hatchery manager over there, kind of runs his own program, and and his his own success is kind of his downfall, I'm afraid, because that's a state-run hatchery, but you know through Fish and Wildlife. But East Bay Mud, who owns the the dam there at Lake Comanche, which you know Macombie flows out of funds his deal so Mm. he pretty much says hey we need this and they write a check you know which is a lot easier than dealing with the state sure even though he's he's a state employee and all that but over there on the McCollum he was kind of he's got all these creative innovative little techniques and uh you know it's working and 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 and, then you know a few years ago because when he signed up to work over there i think they were getting like 200 chinook back a year and then 10 years later whatever's been he got twenty thousand. you know yeah. a few years ago yeah and so all of a sudden the light started shining brightly on him which normally would be good but then the state goes hey you're making us look bad you know and it's just yeah instead of going holy crap dude you're doing this with this tiny little facility what can we do yeah you know, it's just that kind of stuff that drives me nuts but yeah, Anyway, we could, like I say, yeah. go go down the rabbit hole on that too. You, you got to
1: stomp out the guy who uh, invents the water-powered car, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, So so how and when did you start your career as a fly fishing guide, if I could kind of go back a little bit?
2: Oh, well, it, you know, there was no real magic moment that fly fishing guide happened. I think just general fishing guide mm-hmm. is more because I was, I was doing both. I worked at Western Outdoor News as a senior editor back in 91 and 94. And I had a, uh, first of all, I had all the, the latest info available to me because that was pre-internet. And so we were kind (laughs) of the early version of the internet. So I had all the fishing reports and fished with a lot of guides because, um, in those days, you know, they would say, Hey dude, come, come fish with me. And you know, you don't have to pay just come out and write a story take some pictures and 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 you know they would get bunches of calls it's like having a viral post you know in in today's terms um when when that was your only information was the newspaper and so i i fished with a lot of guides and kind of started I, I don't think i even realized it but i was just going huh being on a boat that's kind of cool and you know and, fishing and and of course like a lot of people you go oh that's how bad can that be just all you do is fish for a living well. <laughs> you learn quickly that that's that's not at all uh, yeah. <laughs> what you really do. Sure. But there's a lot more to it, and it's more of a labor love than a get rich quick scheme. But uh, you know, 25 years later, I'm still going and still loving it. I started. I had a boat, and so I was kind of like I say in in the uh, I don't know. I had had all the inside info, and I had days off during the week. And so I just started going fishing a lot more than I used to. And, uh, armed with better information, you know, I was taking buddies. And so, you know, when you have a boat, uh, you're the guide yeah. and, um, it just kept going. And, and after a while it was like buddies of buddies were coming And and the end of the day, I'm sitting there like, you know, putting gas in the boat and scrubbing the deck and they're like, Hey, I see you. Thanks. Like, well, <laughs> wait a minute and then another thing happened we were fishing the american a lot especially for salmon and a few of the original guides there we always noticed that they were grumpy there's one guy we called uh i I didn't know either of their names but one guy was like jackass and one was
1: asshole or something i can't even remember just very very straight straight to the point
2: yeah yeah it was just that was i mean we didn't know the guys it just that's what we picked up from fishing around them and hey, don't touch that rod you know and, and I kept thinking well geez we're catching as many fish as those guys and I could be nice to people that that's not a that's not a real tough one yeah easy. and so that's kind of where things just started um you know sort of the that was the seed and and this is over some time of course I bought a drift boat finally and said well because you know I didn't have a coast guard license in those days so you gotta start with a you know, unpowered vessel and bought a 16 foot clacker craft and started guiding. And, and let me just tell you, thank God that there were tons of fish back in those days, especially salmon, because I sucked. I really <laughs> did. <laughs> and prime example. So my first day of guiding was August 28th, 1998. And I had one client, a guy named John Emmond, who who's never fishing with me since the bastard, but um, <laughs> I, I saw him at the sports show. I, I see him, at the sport shows every year and we have a good laugh but i i told him this story a few years ago but we get in the boat we're we're rowing down river we launched at river reflections campground on the low flow of the feather i'm rowing down to this first hole and it's dark i I remember going like okay (laughs) the shit's getting real now um i need a sign and i look up and i see a shooting star i was like so to this day, I'm like, if I see a shooting star, no fishing is going to be good. Yeah. Um, wow. But so anyway, on the way down in the dark, John goes, well, how long you been doing this? <laughs> and, you know, at that point, it had been about six minutes. <laughs> and so uh, being the journalism major, I figured, well, uh, we're going to use semantics against him here. Well, he didn't specifically say guiding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I just assumed he was referring to fishing. So <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, God, I've been doing this for years. Again, I told him that story, you know, a few years ago, and yeah. we, we got a good laugh out of it. But I was like, "I'm well, sorry, dude. I, you know, what am I supposed to say? You're the first one." <laughs> but uh, so we go down and we get to the first hole, anchor up. What I remember about that day is we caught his limit of salmon. We caught a limit of salmon for me, and in the first hole, I rode back to the boat ramp without doing the drift because we hadn't gone very far, and uh, it was. <laughs> you know, like nine o'clock in the morning. And I thought I was, was uh, King shit, mm-hmm. you know, and I get home and my buddy who was one of my, you know, longtime friends going back to junior high swung by and he's like, yeah, you've been real supportive of this, you know, I'm going to go guiding move. And so he swung by to see how it you know, went. Cause this is, you know, pre cell phone days. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh yeah, we, we messed him up, man. This is, you know, I, I was just, I think I was a little too cocky and, and the river God said, all right, punk. Um, yeah. You, is, yeah. Okay. You had your little moment in the sun, but uh, I don't think I caught a limited time of the rest of that oh. summer. And uh, it was one of those things where I realized, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of guides do this is you, you, you realize you don't know Jack and, and, and I thought I was a badass, but then when I started thinking about it, it's like, Oh, well, I didn't have to do it every day because I had another job. We only cherry picked the best times. Like we didn't go on busy weekends. We went, you know, during the middle of the week and we didn't go if the water was too high or too low, too cold, too hot, you know, north wind, whatever. Kind of went peak of the season and we always did real well. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You know, if you, if you pick all the best times, you're probably going to do pretty well. And then it was a, it was a real slap in the face when, when I had to do it on a daily basis, regardless of the conditions. And, and you got people staring at you thinking you're uh, you know, you're some guru. And <laughs> it was, a, it was a big learning curve. And, and, and really to this day, uh, I, I had a lady on the boat. Oh, I don't know, last year or so. And she said, how long you been doing this? I said, Oh, yeah, you know, since August, uh, of uh, 1998 oh wow you must <laughs> you must know everything there is to know and i was like yeah yeah that's the funny thing is the deeper i get into this stuff yeah. the um the more i realize i don't know yeah. <laughs> you know well, and yeah I and think that's part of the fun
1: yeah we're probably similar that way i mean a, a lot of english probably are right like we're attracted to things that are humbling that in that sense right where you kind of can't stop learning like you could definitely think you know it all and be totally fooled by everything or nothing works the next day.
0: Right.
2: Right. Right. And it's funny. I, a lot of my guide buddies are always like looking in the boat or, and when we used to be camping up on the Trinity for a month, they'd always like to come by and just see what kind of kooky stuff I had on rods. <laughs> I remember one guy going, man, you've always, you're always experiment. I'm like, how can you not, Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's the day that you think you know everything is the, probably the day you got to quit. And, and yeah. for me, the, the fun of it is trying to build a better mousetrap. I'm always looking yeah. to improve the game. So um always. that's that's what keeps you going really. That's that's really
1: one of the main things with that got me into tying tying flies, you know, with you know got got into fly fishing and you're fishing with all this stuff. But look when you can make everything your own way, like customize everything yeah. your own way and like depending on certain variables and all that stuff, like it I don't know. The puzzle got bigger, right? And like you yeah. there's more pieces. And it just got more fun.
2: Well, I, I always think of uh, fishing as one of those blooming onions at Outback.
0: Yeah, it's easy to get a bloomin' onion. Get to Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. How's about a nice juicy steak to go with that blooming onion? Steak. Maybe. Why Why did I think of that? I love steak. Big juicy.
2: Like you just keep delicious. peeling layers away, and you think you're there, and you're like, oh god, there's another, another, another layer down there, and you keep going and going and going. And when you first start the the questions are are pretty basic you know where do fish yeah. live okay in the water sure. you know as you get further along you go okay so that fish bit this on such and such a you know weather day with barometric pressure and the temperature and blah 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 why why did he bite that or why didn't he bite that and you know down the rabbit hole you go <laughs> but that's yeah, what's fun
1: one more blooming onion please
2: <laughs> yeah, another four thousand 000 calories <laughs> <laughs> so
1: yeah besides for the guiding you you're you're a man who's worn many hats uh what are some of the coolest side gigs that you've gotten to do over the years
2: oh wow okay this is uh this is going way back but um uh sacramento used to have a radio station called 93 rock <laughs> oh yeah i'm very familiar yeah crank it up and they had that little white line that people said you know that was a little slash under the 93 rock crank it up and people were like yeah crank it up all right <laughs> but, <laughs> i remember we heard that all the time that was such i mean this is going back 100 years but set, set themselves up with that tag yeah they yeah. did and, yeah. i mean it looked like white powder it really did yeah but um uh, we had it was so cool because it started off as two of us and they just liked us so much that we ended up hiring two more of our friends to do this job but they had a 93 rock van we, and we, we got to drive that around And yes, you
1: guys were in the van you guys were in the, the radio van we were
2: the van dudes oh, yeah. and so we didn't have to be like we our job was like from, you know like 10 to 3 or something i mean it was it was cushion we got paid pretty good for you know the era and they paid for our we were driving down from auburn at the time that's where we lived and and uh they pay for our gas mileage they paid for our lunches and and then paid us hourly and so it was a pretty cool gig and all we would do was go down there in the morning sit in the the broadcast booth with the dj and they'd be like hey we got the 93 rock fan be, here yeah. <laughs> hey where you guys going today and we'd be like eh, well it's a nice day maybe we'll go to uh Folsom Lake and see if we can uh, talk to some girls you know and Mm so all right go down to Folsom Lake they'll be down there from 10 to 2 you know and and so that was that was a fun one we just screwed off and then um, a lot of (laughs) the the memory is fading but some of the uh, the coolest jobs I've had that were kind of came after the the fishing career started Uh, for several years I got hired I mean, a lot of years, actually, I got hired by various agencies, including Cal Fishing and Game and, and some of these other uh, private uh, NGOs around to I was kind of their go to guy when they had a study that they needed to conduct that involved tagging fish mm-hmm. that they couldn't, you know, due to conditions or whatever, they couldn't catch them with, you know, nets or electro fishing or whatever. And the only way they could really figure out how to do it was hook and line. And so I was their guy. Oh, yeah. So I did yeah. about five or six years, I can't remember, on the feather in the Yuba for spring Chinook, which was so cool because, you know, that, that fishery was closed to <laughs> regular yeah. people. So never had anybody fishing in your hole. And, uh, wow. and so I got to do that. And really some cool stuff came out of that as far as, um, catch and like, release more mortality. You know,
1: stuff. So. it was like eight hour days of just catching salmon
2: while mm-hmm. we're trying you know yeah. Yeah. um you know we'd, we'd go up and fish at the base of daguerre dam on the yuba and fish at shanghai falls on the feather and and it was pretty cool and then i i did one on the stanislaw years ago where we had to catch trout for a some sort of tr- migration study and uh so we had private access there and then i did a almost a year-long one at uh, what we call the poopy pipe which is the pipe. Sacramento okay. wastewater treatment. <laughs> okay. I don't know. You know, there's, there's <laughs> on the Sacramento river downstream of Sacramento. Yeah. I mean, if this is probably the stuff that people don't want to hear, but you know, you, you think about it, where does all the wastewater go? Oh yeah. Back right. in the river. Got to go somewhere. Yeah. yeah so um, just below, if if anybody listening is familiar with the Freeport bridge on yeah. the Sacramento river about, I don't know, a few hundred yards below that, parallel to the bridge so perpendicular to the river is a 10 foot diameter pipe with 99 one foot ports <laughs> po- yeah. poop holes yeah. <laughs> and and uh that you know it's treated of course and sure yeah. and it smells like chlorine to something terrible down there but anyway that pipe because it's 10 feet in diameter creates like a, an artificial sort of current block down there on the bottom and they were the the wastewater treatment plant was doing some sort of you know relicensing or something i can't remember now but they they somebody said hey you know there's always fishermen lined up right on our pipe maybe we're creating a, an artificial <laughs> predator hotspot they were they're yeah. looking at delta smelt and juvenile schnook salmon getting eaten there sure. so it's it's like 20 something feet deep there and they couldn't figure out how to how to get anything I mean, it, for tagging and stomach pumping uh there so maybe a bunch of
1: lamprey too maybe all that stuff
2: yeah we never caught those but we caught pretty much everything else so they wanted us specifically to target predators uh striped bass being the primary ones but largemouth bass and pike minnow and that kind of stuff so we did that for um that was for long days like 12 hour days sitting kind of in the same spot all day it got monotonous but Uh, when the weather was nice it was fun we're just sitting there with on anchor with you know sardines or live minnows out whatever trying to imitate you know baby salmon essentially and and, uh, that's where I caught my biggest fish ever uh we were it was in November the water had gotten cold and the the job was fun when the water was warm because you know we we caught some big stripers but for the most part in in the late summer and fall there's a billion little kind of shaker to four or five pound stripers there and so you put a piece of sardine on, throw it out there and catch a fish every cast. And so, and then of course we're getting data. So it looks like, you know, that that makes our bosses happy. Well, come November the water got cold and everything just disappeared. And we're sitting there in just horrible, cold, foggy conditions. You know, how cold it gets in Sacramento when the fog's out. And we were catching like one 12 inch striper a day. And so (laughs) Um, because it was our job to catch whatever was there mm-hmm. we said okay let's target 12 inch stripers and so we scaled our gear way down so I had essentially a trout rod that was like six to 12 pound test little uh, like six that. and a half foot rod a 12 pound line and a tiny little hook with a piece of sardine like the size of your thumbnail because again the only fish were there were tiny so we were trying to make sure we caught the ones that were there well I uh, ended up Hooking and landing after an hour about a 260 pound sturgeon on that gear. No way. Yeah, to, the, to, bo- the, boat. to the boat. Oh yeah, we got it in the boat. The biologist measured yeah. it and it was oh, you know eight feet long. It was pretty epic, and it was funny because the biologists at that point were like, because oh, they like to fish. And I'm like, I don't know why these guys are getting paid to do this. And then after that, he goes, dude, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And now, <laughs> now I know you're a true pro. <laughs> that
1: weird so. little, that weird prehistoric mouth. Wanted that tiny little piece of yeah. sardine.
2: Well, I figured, you know, there's or, there's accident- the or accidentally, yeah, just sucked it up, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're just constantly, you know, vacuuming, yes. and and you know, if you're vacuuming anyway, why not take a little tiny piece of bait? Yeah. You probably like a bigger one, but yeah,
1: it was there. And... Taste, tasty morsel you gave him. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's a that's a <laughs> that's cr- that's crazy. This, I mean, if. you... Does that qualify for any sort of light like, tackle record or something like that? You no, know, I
2: don't even know. I yeah. we I mean it's it was pretty I wonder it was pretty awesome just seeing that thing come up and yeah. and and on that little rod. I have I'll have to show you some pictures. <laughs> they were taking pictures of me. That little rod's just maxed out. Yeah. I'm surprised I landed it actually. But yeah, um, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna make a note to remind you. Yeah, um, it was it was fun. Um
2: and we got paid for it by the hour, so <laughs>
1: so you mentioned Alaska and that's kind yeah. of why I got you on the show it was really good okay. cool to, to dig into that a little bit you've been guiding up in, in togiak right and how how long have you been guiding up there
2: I've been guiding in to uh, on the togiak River since 2014 prior to that I was on the nushigak which is the world's well used to be world's greatest king salmon fishery which has fallen on hard times like most king salmon fisheries but I was on that river for six or seven years prior to that. And there was a little break in there somewhere. When we, when we had our kid, I stopped going for a little bit, but, um, so yeah, I did, you know, I guess I'm pushing 20 years, of Alaska. Plus I've been several times. I, I've been a columnist for fish Alaska magazine forever. And so they used to send me to Alaska like on that. uh on trips you know and write a story about this or that yeah. so i guess that done, doesn't really qualify as a side gig that was like a gig you had that's sweet that's cool yeah yeah so that was that was good time. i just don't have time to they, they'd send me now but you know i'm already going two times a year yeah it's <laughs> already so to go work
1: are those two rivers in the same general area
2: yeah they're um so bristol bay area which i'm sure you've heard of um if you picture a map of alaska you got the big mass and then down in the southwest corner where the Aleutian chain starts to veer off from the landmass, That's the general area down there, kind of in the, the extreme southwestern corner of the, the continental state, I guess you'd say it's it's out in the middle of nowhere. Both of them are you have to you know fly or boat to get there and yeah, yeah you-
1: I want you to explain that a little bit. you've posted some videos and I'll I'll link to those in the show notes. Um there's been a couple you've posted kind of like a time lapse i believe of you traveling okay and, yeah and um i want to say one of you kind of stranded at one oh, point too yeah. but i want i want you to tell me I mean, we're, we're both here in northern california so it might be a little specific but what's your travel like um getting up there to you okay. know, start start your guide season
2: yeah so yeah hop on apply I, I go out of reno i used to go to sacramento you go to anchorage regardless and then um by the time you get to anchorage uh, the the flights out to Togiak have already left, so you you always have to stay the night. the The lodge I'm fortunate the lodge now pays for our hotel. I used to sleep on the couches in the airport, which sucked.
1: Yeah. Oh man, you're like DIY punk man. Style. Yeah,
2: exactly. And uh, the guy with the little floor cleaning Zamboni right by your ear at 3 a.m. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I stay in a hotel and hop on the uh, the lodge charters a plane so it's just you and other guests flying out and it's about uh an hour and a half hour 45 from anchorage on a you know like a 12 15 seat whatever it is plane and then uh kind of,
1: kind of, kind of a scary one like a double prop
2: deal. yeah yeah a little i mean not not like a commuter airliner it's much smaller and, and they kind of duct taped together really i mean they look kind Christ. of janky and, and usually you know the pilots look like they're about eleven. <laughs>
1: but, uh, you're well, you're comfortable. Your dad's a pilot, right?
2: Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been around airplanes my whole life, so yeah. that that doesn't bother me. Well, but my, uh,
1: my wife's a pilot, and I I that scares me already. The two props, she'd love it, but that that'd be, yeah. that'd be uh, a couple Xanax before the flight, kind of. Well, for, I
2: figured two props are better than one. You know, so good point. Um, I like I like you're thinking there. Um, but man, if you if you had a problem, I don't know where you. – where you'd go, yeah, right. I think about that too. Flying like when you start on your descent, and you're just going over endless either epic mountains, which you probably wouldn't have to worry about surviving that because you're not gonna make it. But <laughs> you know, you could probably put it down. You know, once you get over towards where we are, uh, if you're not in a mountain, it's all pretty flat tundra and, and pretty soft. You know, it's wet. Yeah. So you could probably survive a you know sort of a controlled crash landing out there, but. And people, I've had these conversations with people on the plane. Oh, oh, man, the bears. So you don't have that conversation (laughs) on the plane? Oh, yeah, well, people, (laughs) you know, a lot of times I'm dealing with first-time people up there, and they're like, what if we weren't down here? I'm Uh, like, don't worry about the grizzly bears. Mosquitoes would get you before that. So, But anyway, you fly, fly an hour and a half or whatever out there, and you land in the village of Togiak, which is, you know, several hundred people in a dirt strip. And you land out there, and you reference the time that I I uh, got left. <laughs> you, you work in Alaska enough times, you're going to get forgotten a few times. And I, I did on the Nushagak, and that was there's, back. What,
1: they forget you. They don't have like a reminder or something like oh, one. Like JD's you know, going to be there.
2: Oh yeah, they do. But they, you know, what happens is there's always so much going on that you know to operate a lodge out in the middle of the tundra. There's there's always a fire to put out and you know you kind of lose track of the days too cuz the sun never goes down and right. so i they forgot about me uh i guess last summer so i walked into town luckily i knew some people and got to hang out cuz it was raining but uh i was i was going to ask you how long the walk was oh it's you know a mile or so it's not too bad and then um i know some people in town from being up there so long that you know, so it was starting to rain. I was pretty stoked to be able to, you know, get in there and and find somebody to harbor me and call a lot.
1: Yeah, it sounds terrifying, but I, I mean, the way you explained it, I guess it doesn't seem so bad. But it's no, just, it's, it's, it's Alaska. Still, like you just said, the bugs. I don't yeah. like bugs. I don't like bugs. That's what I, I don't like think, bugs either. That's the know? thing
2: that you know people are always like grizzly bears. I'm like, yeah. I mean, of course, a grizzly bear could ruin your whole life, but um, bugs are something you, and you know, deal with daily. We yeah, had a, it relentlessly probably, right? Oh, sometimes. Yeah. Especially during the King season, which is, uh, I can go there, you know, mid, mid June to mid July timeframe. And that's when the snow's just melted off and there's standing water everywhere. And, you know, the, the lodge is out in the tundra. So, you can't without boots or waders, you can't walk on quote unquote dry land. So there's, the buildings are all on stilts and there's, you know, a boardwalk that connects all the, the buildings. Okay. And, um, so if you've just stepped off it, you you know, you get, get your feet wet. You're, you're living in a rice paddy essentially, oh, wow. you know? Wow. And so years where the bugs are fierce, there was one, I don't know, three or four years ago, uh, where you know they get the guides in sort of dormitory style, you know, a couple guys to a room thing. And and Bob Spar, who's a Sacramento guide, he and I were room together one year. The bugs, like y- you do this sort of bug roundup before you go to bed, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> and you know, you can hear everybody swat, swat, swat hitting the walls, yeah. And then we're like, okay, we got them, we must have killed 80 of them or something, 100 bugs, yeah. And then you lay down and all of a sudden it's like, (laughs) they're just all over you. And you look up and the ceiling's covering. You're like, "Oh yeah, what the F man, where'd those all come from? And go kill those lay down again. And it was just like, we started going crazy. And so it was the middle of the night. I went and got some duct tape and we're, we're, you know, again, we're (laughs) living two feet above a swamp. So there's bugs hatching below us, but we're trying to figure out how they're getting in and so we duct taped just every see-
1: sealing up anything you could.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And it still didn't work. <laughs> oh, I mean, we had every available, at least we thought. I mean, it was it was a mystery. Like, how are these getting in here? Because we we duct taped every joint in that building. Oh God. And yeah, so you have to sleep with the covers over your head and earphones in. Otherwise you can't sleep.
1: The building, the walls were made of mosquito eggs.
2: That's it, kind of what it seemed like. You know, it's just the guide cabins are not built super well you know it's like yeah. plywood and well i want
1: to i, I want to know what it like a normal that's a question i had here i want to know what a normal day's work is for a guide who a seasonal guide up there you know like what so what does it start like like what's the you know start okay start to so finish, like
2: you go in and have breakfast at seven and they cook you you know a lot of, we have a michelin star chef up there oh, so wow. yeah. yeah the grub is really almost too much like you yeah. you should lose weight hustling as much as you do up there yeah <laughs> come back with a few extra LBs, but, um, so yeah, you you have some breakfast and then the guests get served breakfast after you. So eight o'clock is when, you know, it's kind of the green light that boats can go out. So after you eat breakfast, you, you're zipping around, putting fuel in your boat or, you know, doing whatever you guys are,
1: you guys are prepping while the guests are are eating. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then they come down and hop in the boat and off you go. And you're back at noon for lunch which you know they've tried to do shore lunches, and we still do them every once in a while but i tell you what you know you want to go back to the bugs again we can talk about the bugs again yeah that's that's always my thing like why do we want to sit outside it's so nice if it's buggy if it's rainy if it's really hot i mean there's a lot of conditions where it's just nice to get out of that for an hour yeah yeah so we um But we come back in and and usually that's the the morning sessions when, if you're going to keep some salmon, that's when you do it. So we can flay them and we flay them before lunch. And, you know, and we used to have have the old way uh, at the lodge was there's this big three or four cleaning tables right on the front lawn of the lodge. Mm -hmm. And it was so disgusting, the (laughs) amount of carnage (laughs) that happens there. There'd be like, I don't know, three or four inches of goo yeah and it's fish blood it's fish eggs it's fish fins just and it goo yeah. oh it's it's it was like fish jello fish yeah. parts jello and it just <laughs> or snot maybe you gotta, just you gotta
1: a, can that and sell it for like 65 bucks a jar as yeah, like art, yeah. artisanal goo straight from togiac
2: yeah i mean it was just so let's say non-sanitary and then you know people walk in there and then they go walk in the kitchen or something yeah 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 yeah. so when the new owners bought it i said hey we gotta we gotta shit can that whole fish cleaning system where i was on the new shigak, our fish cleaning tables were just set out in like a foot of water Mm -hmm. and then you know so you didn't the river just washed all the stuff away and they'd have eight million little baby salmon and stuff there to clean up the clean up. but we have kind of a high bank so there's no beach they they just decided to put washdown pumps in the boats and you just have a fish clean table in your boat so we go clean them somewhere else and that that solves a couple problems you don't have the uh, fish soup quagmire <laughs> around the lodge but, yeah.
1: do you uh, think that you think you that all you alaskan guides out there are the reason that people started tying flesh flies because i mean like I mean, i'm mean, kind of, i half joking i mean obviously they're, yeah. they're eating flesh anyway but like yeah that seems like a thing that like was pretty probably yeah. pretty routine for all the lodges you know oh of, yeah where, where they well, were they at and so they're gobbling up these pieces of white fluffy stuff and pink, pinkish white stuff that people tie- yep. end up tying up as flies when they get up there right
2: yep well and we have when we used to have the fish cleaning table right in front of the lodge we would have the world's largest aquarium of giant trout and dollies yeah. and oh yeah they would, you know, guys would go down there with a, you know, either a little bead under an indicator or just a little piece of yarn and, and you didn't have to have your flesh fly white because we were throwing, you know, fresh orange play, you know, so they were more targeted on that. It was kind of cool because you would see not only, you know, feeding all these giant trout. I mean, the biggest, every year, somebody catch a 12 pounder out of there, you know, but the amount of smolts fry, so you're like, okay, well, at least we're, you know, kind of giving these guys a little leg up, you know, giving giving back a little bit. You know, they're fattening up for their journey downstream quicker than they would otherwise. Mm-hmm. And and this year the lodge bought a big meat grinder and started just taking the carcasses and running them through there. And then just, you know, the carcasses would go into the water like, uh, you know, sausage meat. Oh, wow. and,
1: uh, I was wondering, would they would they be selling
2: it in bulk for like dog food or something like that? I mean, yeah, no, we're just, we're chucking them in. The natives always want the heads. The people in the village yeah. want the heads. And what they do with those is make, uh, no, they put them in a five-gallon bucket with rock salt and put them on their front porch for two weeks and then eat it like that. Okay. Which don't, don't knock it till you try it, but no, I, man, I'm okay. I, I'm
1: okay with the funky stuff. I'm down. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm not sure I'm down with that, but, um, I haven't I'd tried it. it. So I guess. But anyway, so, uh, anyway, that was, yeah, we clean the fish and come in for lunch. And while, while we're eating with the guests, the fish fillets go into the processing hut where there's another crew that, you know, cleans them up with paper towels Wraps them in tightly in Saran wrap and then vacuum seals them. Are those
1: usually in, are those usually locals too, or are those folks that are seasonal workers that come up?
2: Those are employees, yeah, just yeah. local or not locals, but uh, you know seasonal employees. And then yes. after lunch, you go back out till five o'clock, clean your boat up, and you're done for the day. And it's it's a it's a long grind because it's kind of like doing two two trips a day, sort of. But you guys, um, you guys
1: end up eating dinner with the guests and stuff, or is that separate?
2: Yeah, there's one big dining hall. We have our like the guests sit down with fancy linen and stuff. We, oh yeah, we're kind of cafeteria style, and and they keep us not separated, but we're on a different side of the, the yeah, hall,
1: which is they don't want you guys getting too big for your britches over there.
2: Well, right? that's it, and and we appreciate it because you know when you're sitting with somebody, you, <laughs> these guests are there for five days, so you're yeah I get with you. people for yeah. five days. It's nice yeah. to have a little yeah. You know, it's it's always funny because you know my guides will be eating they're like hey, oh here comes your client dude yeah. like <laughs> like come on we need boundaries <laughs> so,
1: yeah there's a there's a there turns out to be a, a science camp quality to that that yeah so a, a social element that you know may not exist on your regular day-to-day guide trips huh
2: yeah it's um it's kind of like going back to college lived in the dorms with yeah, right? with the boys and and you know they've got yeah. a really good
1: Grew all ki- up there yeah you get all kinds of people coming through I'm sure
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, it's a different clientele in general up there those people are paying you know six grand a week or whatever yeah then than your daily people because uh, generally they're a little more affluent and um, I don't, sometimes those uber affluent people are a little more difficult uh, to deal oh, with you, you don't say <laughs> yeah um for the most part up there now i just take my people like there's people that won't go if i don't go oh uh, yeah and so and then i take a lot of our a lot of my customers from down here so now it's pretty much to where i don't fish a whole lot of people i don't know that's cool. which is nice that's and
1: a, that's a big trip to not know for certain that you yeah that you jive with the the person you're spending all that time with too so no
2: yeah i mean from a customer standpoint you could get some jack weasel guide yeah be miserable Yeah, man. So, um,
1: so on the flip side, what's it like for, so you, is it how much different is it for an angler? I mean, like, I know you guys have separate lodging and you're, you're kind of, you know, on different meal schedules and stuff like that, but is it kind of like, do they get to pick what, what they're going, what they're fishing for, you know, like all those kind of different
2: things? Well, it's yeah. Uh, So what I do and I can only really speak to what I, you know, I'm about, but it depends on the season. You know, I go for Kings and I go for Silvers in the fall and usually, like I was saying, we, we target the primary species that they are there for in the morning and, uh, you know, get a half day in a kingfish and, or, you know, you catch a hundred silvers in a half day. It's like, okay, hopefully these guys want to do something else now yeah. after lunch. You know, I just, I pretty much just sort of not really dictate it, but I kind of do it said, okay, well, you know, I, I strongly suggest what we're going to do next. And, and I'm kind of the master of just the full experience there. Some guys and they haven't been there as long as I have. So they don't know all the little backwaters and sneaky spots. So some guys just, you know, take them to do the same thing over and over again. I, I like the variety. It's probably more for my own sanity than anything, but everybody seems to love it. Like, okay, we, we got your limit of silvers this morning, so we can go catch some silvers, but you want to go try to like, we'll take a little jet boat up a little Creek and we'll fish egg patterns uh, behind spawning salmon for big dollies. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. I've never fly fish before. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> just get in the water. And, or, uh,
1: or I've seen you do all like weird stuff, like throwing pink topwater plugs and stuff for, yeah, for salmon, yeah, that's which I don't, I don't think I've seen many other people doing that, at least not posting it on online no, or anything. You know? It's,
2: and it's so fun. And you can do it with, you know, pink deer hair.
1: Yeah. Deer I was going to say, like, I would tie up a big old pink, like, gurgler or something pattern. Yeah. Like, just pulling water off the top and stuff and it'd be crazy
2: because- oh it's so fun it's especially when the silver fishing is you know out of control i, I i've had people i'm not a fish counter kind of guy i just you know yeah, i just kind of gauge it on yeah we had a good day the weather was nice sure. conversation was good we caught a bunch of fish mm-hmm. who cares how many we caught you know but i had some i've often had people ask me you know hey, how many silvers do you catch a day up there like i don't know 20 40 50, i don't know 50 maybe mm-hmm. well so i had some guys count they didn't tell me they were counting oh yeah but they counted <laughs> and and this was a good day i mean it wasn't abnormal but it was you know peak fishing at the end of the day they said hey you want to know how many we caught i'm like oh yeah i'm you know i think it's 60 or something they said uh, we had 119 by lunch i'm like oh what? shit, and then you know similar amounts so you can you know when that place is going you can do two yeah. guys can do two hundred coho in a day. Crazy. You gotta and, you gotta feel like you pitched a double header after well that. that's that's yeah. what the the takeaway for me was like no oh, shit, no wonder I'm so sore <laughs> right? you know yeah. from yeah. from bending over unhooking all these fish. And yeah. that's another reason why it's nice to okay. We caught <laughs> caught a bunch of coho in the morning. Let's let's go see if we can catch a pike or go yeah you know so but usually by day three or four uh, on, on one afternoon guys just want to go for a sightseeing trip and yeah we'll pull in a couple spots and throw some uh it sounds like such th- an
1: uh like unbelievable experience and i'm sure I'm, that's why it's on everybody's list but to have that much variety and like that yes and for it to be that plentiful still um yeah like, i know it's in, in danger of not being but you know sounds well, so, so cool
2: it's it really does, you know, I, like I say, I, I moved away from the Sacramento Valley because the salmon fisheries that really were my lifeblood. And, you know, that's, that's always what I've loved, salmon fishing and steelhead. And in fact, my first business was called Sacramento Salmon Company. Just to, uh, <laughs> And Wi-Fi right. at our house down in Sacramento was the house that salmon built. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, how, that's how entrenched with salmon I've been. You should have and, held on
1: to the Sacramento Salmon Company. That's so like old school sounding
2: and cool. Like just yeah. this point, that's a good yeah. one, man. Except there's no salmon left. But um, yeah, the so. Sacramento salmon List Company. But yeah, um, you, you see, I look at it now. I'm picturing like an old weathered sign. You know, like, this, like you know, it's yeah, apart. totally. What what going to Alaska does is uh, seeing that you know, like the Togiak River. We're we're down in the lower seven miles of the river, so it's very much a delta lots of side channels and sloughs much like the delta that i used to fish the sacramento san joaquin delta is uh used to be i guess and which is now all as you know riprap banks and sewage effluent and all kinds of crap unfortunately but you go and see a healthy estuary and delta and go oh wow and you know every little back slough is full of wood and around all that wood or clouds of baby salmon everywhere yeah. and and the amount of clean spawning cobble for as far as you can see and then sunny days when you run up the river like on a low water year you look and and then each side each margin of the river is like a non-stop stream of you know sockeyes or chums or coho or pinks yeah. or you know whatever yeah. time of year it is just the edges there's just like you go ten miles and it's just been fish on both sides of you the whole way, you know, and wow. and so it's it's good for my soul to go see that okay there's still ecosystems that are functioning and you know the habitats intact, naturally thriving, yeah um, yeah no hatchery needed yeah. you know that's so, super cool yeah really cool uh,
1: to wrap up an angler's day there they got there are they in like a lodge scenario too where it's like they're bunked up or they have separate rooms is it up to yeah what there's what they, what a pay for different packages or something like that.
2: Yeah, there's different size rooms, but the rooms vary in size from two to a room, like little cabins. They're all cabins. Two, I think the biggest cabin holds like six people, so they don't mix people, obviously. It's, you know, if you have a big group or family, they put you in one of the bigger ones. And so, yeah, they come in like and... All-inclusive all stuff kind of thing? Y- yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's once you're there, you're not paying for anything. Um you know they you come in at 5 and the guests go in and usually take a shower and stuff and then by 6 they have appetizers which usually is fresh smoked salmon and sort of charcuterie trays type okay. deal yeah. and then they serve up uh like I say we got the Michelin chef there so he he actually has to throttle back a little bit you know cuz it's not a mint on the pillow type place it's a nice comfortable place but you're yeah. not you know we're not um you know smoking cigars and you know yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff it's okay. it's you yeah know, he's had to like down home it a little bit <laughs> you know which i think is you know almost yeah. feels like he's a little beneath him he's got so much more skill than that but I, uh I you know, people like, just kind of
1: want to. yeah that's what you want when you're like like a long day outside doing that like um yeah I don't want, I don't think I'm looking for like a $30 Caesar salad. You know, I know it's, it's, all, it's all inclusive, you know, and I like a Caesar salad too, but like, I'm yeah. kind of looking for, yeah. Like a, like a burger or, you know, yeah, some right. simple plate of pasta or something after yeah. that. Something you, don't,
2: and, yeah. <laughs> you don't want like the little Wagyu beef medallion. That's the size of a quarter with a mint leaf on it or something. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then wait 10 minutes
2: for the next bite to come out, you know? Or whatever, yeah. Right? Yeah. No, they it's, it's hearty good food. This guy's, He's a badass in the kitchen though. So that's really cool. And then, that so they're there like for a, five.
1: Sounds like yeah. a cool
2: gig for that, a seasonal
1: chef to go up there. That sounds pretty cool.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to find good ones because usually the good ones are hired and they can't get away for three months mm-hmm. or don't want to, you know, yeah. or you get some short order fry cook who's out of work because he got kicked out because he couldn't pass some pee <laughs> right. test or something you know so yeah, yeah, yeah. so we got lucky with this guy he's great he's really cool too and it's it's cool to watch a, a real chef he yeah. walks around like i stopped telling him he's he's a good buddy of mine i, I stopped telling him dude that was so good because he looks uh, at you like no shit yeah i know you know yeah. i was like <laughs> what do you think i am i'm you know an amateur <laughs> it's like i don't yeah. t- you know it's kind of like Hey, good job fishing today! I'm like, oh yeah, duh. So now That's, I just kind of give him a little nod, like, "Yo, yeah, that was cool." I, I never really thought
1: about that. I like talking to, the, to chefs too. Like when I go to go out, and it's like they don't want—I don't think they really, unless they ask you, you probably shouldn't say it. They know that they what they did is good. Like, you should just, yeah. just shoot it yeah. with them. Right, just shoot the shit that, with them.
2: Yeah, I, I'd never thought about that until he started giving me like the the look, like. Yeah. Shut up, bitch! Yeah. You know. Yeah. They just want to
1: see. They just want to see that you enjoy. It. They know because you ate it or
2: yeah. you're eating it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So they they yeah. see the plates come back in, yeah. full or empty. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. and so yeah, the guests are there for five days, and then um, they go home, and we get another group, and the whole cycle starts yeah. again. And- you you cycle it out, and so how long are you there every every season? What is it? Oh, it it changes. I used to go for two months, and now I'm down. Well, last few years I've been going half the king season which is two weeks and then I'll go back in September for half the cove season this year I am xing out the king season because that's you know late June early July which is just absolute peak time here at Tahoe oh, yeah. you know Fourth of July weekend and, yeah. and why not sleep in your own bed and be four minutes from your boat and cool. marina mm-hmm. at home so I'm'll I'll do the once uh, September one rolls around and that's when I go I go the first two weeks of September. Which is the last two weeks of their whole season up there. But that's when, you know, people are going back to school and things slow down a little bit here. So that still kinda makes some sense. You know, I used to I started going to Alaska when fisheries in Sacramento area started dying down. We didn't have anything going on in summer. So I I needed something, but I don't I don't need anything in the summer anymore. So
1: something (laughs) Um, you don't really realize until you start going out fishing with guys is is that juggle, that kind of shuffle that that they that you guys figure out, you know, to, to keep things, you know. Yeah keep things yeah. going yeah nope. um I wanted to talk to you a little too a little bit too about booking a trip like tips on bookings figuring out to get up there it's a big thing like it's a it's not just like a hey I'm going I'm gonna go up and fish the snake River or something like that yeah so it's not something like that like I want to there's a lot of variables and I know that you've you've been around this stuff for so long I wonder if you could give us some tips
2: yeah so I get a lot of people on my boats down here in the the lower 48. Oh yeah. I've always wanted to go to Alaska. We're going to go next year. I'm like, where are you going? Oh, I don't know. I was just, you know, I'm like, you Google it, you know, Google Alaska fishing and you'll get, you know, 900 million results. Yeah, And, yeah. and it's a real, uh, sort of mind blow when you try to go. Okay. So what I always tell people, it's like, okay, figure out what you're into. Like, do you want to go, throw dry flies for something or do you want to you know go catch a bunch of sockeye or are you halibut ocean you know kind of gotta the easiest thing first is to narrow it down do you want salt or fresh Mm -hmm. and then you can from there start paring it down okay well and and you don't have to pick either or there's plenty of places that have both but it just helps to kind of instead of going "Ah, i'm just going to alaska because where the fish just jump in the boat you know Mm -hmm. and it's like well it's still fishing and (laughs) you want to kind of not be so sort of haphazard about it you, know, you want to kind of hit it the best time and yeah and and so maximize, maximize your buck i mean
1: it's not yeah. a cheap trip
2: yeah no not at all so you're just trying to sort of narrow it down so that's what i try to help people with that say they're going okay so you're uh you spin fish you fly fish you like salt you like fresh a little both okay and then you can start kind of going okay well this This particular area looks like it has salt and fresh options or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, do you you want salmon? Do you want trout? Because a lot of times they cross over, but it's just good to kind of get a feel, kind of be honest with yourself what you want. Do you want to bring a bunch of fish home? Do you want to just catch and release? And then you want to be near town? Do you want to rough it? Do you want to camp? Do you want to do a float trip? I mean, there's so many different ways you can go. My favorite thing to do... When I was, um, you know, I told you I was getting uh, sent to Alaska a lot by Fish, Fish Alaska Magazine on, you know, story trips where they would essentially cover all the costs. Mm-hmm. They tried to send me to a couple and they did once uh, to like a hoity-toity lodge. <laughs> That's just not my my jam. So I became their uh, do-it-yourself sort of guy on the spot. So they'd say, hey, we're, uh, you know, we're going to do an episode on all things fishing Juno." in you know the whatever may issue and so they would they would say hey we got you a car we got you a place to stay mm-hmm. just this go sounds, to yeah. this sounds like a dream dude like, oh it was, a, yeah it was awesome i always brought a buddy too so yeah. how, uh, so how do you make how
1: do you make that phone call you're, you're like hmm, who, who gets to go this time i know that was that was
2: actually <laughs> difficult uh but yeah so we'd go and like okay we're going to juno whatever and, and we kind of they would just say you yeah, know figure it out you know well that was the editor the editor in those days was pretty chill and one time i didn't talk to the publisher very often but one time we were in uh kodiak and i've been there like three or four days of our trip and somehow he called me for something and then it's like well so what's your story on i said oh we're, we're doing kind of the road system you know Silver's by car, kind of thing. And he goes, "God damn it, you know we've done that a thousand times." Blah blah blah. Get a new idea. It's like, oh crap, we've <laughs> burned up half our trip. And yeah. and we were staying at this bed and breakfast, which just was awesome. This lady was like so cool. Anyway, so she was making breakfast, and she's on this bay, and she goes, "You know, breakfast is gonna be a little late. Why don't you guys go down and fish off the beach?" And we're like, "We can fish off the beach for what?" She's like, "Oh, you know, you'll catch silvers and there's dollies and." there's some you know maybe some little flounders or something we're like oh cool this so is we like went down kind of like flats kind of stuff or what would, would no it, it was no? just in the surf a just surf, it, wasn't, yeah. wasn't, wasn't a, it was wasn't wasn't it was looked like a northern california beach really it was, oh, yeah. you know rocky and cool. so we started catching we, i think we started catching humpies and stuff and then if you threw your we were just using spoons you throw it way out as far as you could and let it sink to the bottom we we're catching halibut and rockfish not nothing yeah. big we we're using trout rods essentially yeah. But it was a kick in the ass. We're like, this is so cool. So that rewrote the whole story. We're like, let's ah. just go fish every beach on this island. Yeah, hell yeah. And so we we and did stay, a surf, and surf
1: stay at this nice bed and breakfast. Yeah, I mean, someone, someone's making us delicious meals.
2: Oh yeah, it was it was awesome. So we yeah. surf fished. That was the article: surf fishing Kodiak. And oh, and that one the publisher was just over the moon because nobody's done that. You know, is and, that article still available? Uh, I'd have to look. It might be online somewhere.
1: I'm gonna look for a link. I'd like to share that.
2: Yeah, it was it was uh, it was fun. It was super cool. We caught you know all kinds of stuff in the in the salt. Lots of salmon, and we caught chums, pinks, cohos. Uh, I don't think we caught any kings. It was too late. But uh, then, and various other critters. Bottom. I caught a true Pacific cod. All kinds of stuff. So it was fun.
1: But so your 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 basic uh, general tips though are to figure out. figure out exactly what you want to do because the options are vast. And then you want to kind of dial in where you want to go based on that. Yeah, um, obviously, obviously you're working within certain budgets, different people have different, you know, different amounts to spend and all that kind of stuff, but it's really yep. figuring that out. And and then what about, you know, finding, I mean, obviously we'd, we'd love people to fish with you and, and, and your lodge, but like finding a
2: guide, you know, like um,
1: finding the right one.
2: That's, that's difficult at times. And one of the things you can do is depending on where you are, in the wintertime, these big sportsmen shows come to a lot of big cities. And you know, Portland, Sacramento, Chicago. I mean, they're all over the place. And at those, those are great because there's always have Alaskan lodges at them. Mm-hmm. And what's nice about that is you can go to the sports shows and actually get some FaceTime with the yeah, people.
1: They're there. Because
2: yeah. the, the websites, I mean, you could still, you know, get get a bum deal there but at least you kind of look in somebody in the eye you get a little better feel but for sure somebody can have a outstanding website and you get there and you're like huh they did some creative photography because <laughs> <laughs> i've heard those horror stories a hundred times you know like oh yeah. it looks so cool we got there and the guy was a drunk and you know oh, the place man. was a shambles and, and how, so how
1: disappointing would that be after oh
2: that? totally i mean i i've uh, <laughs> one of my guide buddies went up there and they didn't have any food at the lodge. It was a remote lodge, wow. and so they were eating salmon for breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
1: And so you got to catch your food. We didn't tell you.
2: Yeah, it was. It was just, you know, the guy was Crazy. just kind of checking out, I guess. Yeah. But so there's so, a tip:
1: make sure get get a reputable review, maybe from somebody that you know or trust at least, right?
2: Yeah, or ask for references or something. Yeah. And and I mean, it's hard. You there's so many choices, and it, you kind of have to wing it. But the other thing you could do is talk to people you know who've gone yeah you know if you have anybody's or family members or anybody who's gone to Alaska it's nice to go hey we're you know how was your experience um and then the other thing to remember if you're going and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier but remember it's still fishing like yes it's Alaska and the fishing more often than not's way better than you've ever seen it probably but you can go to Alaska and and not catch fish you know so
1: In the way we do, we talked about it too, with the lodge and the Michelin chef, it sounds kind of cush, but you got to be prepared for extreme elements and stuff. There's a lot of, it's not just, it's not your uh, standard fishery, right? And so you got to be prepared mentally, yes. physically, yep. spiritually before you go <laughs> to
2: a place like this, right? Yeah. Well, and uh, textiles, Lee, uh, I don't know if that's yeah. a word, but uh, yeah. bring uh, your,
1: every layer you can think of, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know we'll get people that they get off the plane and, you know, we're going for a 10 mile boat ride across a bay that can be horrifyingly rough. And then, you know, up a river where it can be raining sideways, horrifyingly rough. Yes. And most of the times not, but you know, you never know. And I remember a guy this last year got off and he's in like penny loafers, no socks, Dockers yeah. oh. and a, you know, collared shirt. And you're like, Dude. Like, I, I hope he's not my client. I hope he's not mine. He's yeah. Not mine. Yeah. <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> Like this guy's completely clueless and you go, uh, you know, if you get, it's so much more pleasant. Cause you're going to probably see some rain. You're going to see some sun. You're going to see some <laughs> in between Yeah. and layer layering is the key. But if you're going to Alaska, don't skimp on like, don't buy a little, you know, Gorton's Fisherman yellow yeah. rubber raincoat. Packable you know, poncho. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, since I'm, it depends on what you're doing. If you're going, you know, I've been on trips like those do it yourself trips where we did a lot of hiking up rivers and waders. So that kind of stuff you want like a breathable Sims or, you know, whatever brand coat. But if you're coming up to a place like where I am now, we're sitting in a boat fishing. So rubber rain gear is the way to go because it doesn't leak, you know, Gore-Tex always at some point gets saturated, but, You know if you're not moving around rubber's great because you know it's it's not leaking ever but if you're moving around you're gonna sweat like crazy in that so you know kind of figure out what you're gonna be doing that helps you pick your stuff and and again don't skimp just get you don't need a bunch of stuff because you end up wearing the same thing every day but but you know you want some sort of you know good boots and and good old muck boots work great up there and and that kind of stuff so anyway you want to be prepared for it sucks to go all that way pay all that money and be miserable
1: yeah you can't just and there's not a. I'm sure there's not like a sizable, big box store ready to <laughs> to sell you what you need, right?
2: Not um, in the village of yeah. Togiak, which is you know 600 people or whatever. There's one little store, but yeah, you could get stuff in Anchorage. At our place, we have you know, a bunch of spare waders and you know, raincoats and stuff.
1: Would you say that like fly anglers or conventional anglers like do better up there at any given time? Or is it just kind of like just the skill of the angler, like whatever they want to use, you know?
2: Well, it depends on the fishery. So for Kings, we have a spike camp that um, didn't operate this year, but the year before uh, there's a, a spay, you know, camp sure. for Kings that was affiliated with the lodge Sweet. and they, you know, they got excited when they got a grab every third day kind of deal. That's um, me. It, That's me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a big river. You know, the king numbers aren't what they used to be. So the fishing on the swing for the king there is, I mean, they caught fish. That's for sure. Cool. But but um, the the downside to that is, you know, we were all running around. The, the water was high that year, so that made it tougher. Um, you know, to swing when everything's right at your feet, you know, against a yeah. ripping hot bank in the trees. Yeah. But those guys also, it was so buggy. Those guys are outstanding in the trees, in the bugs. That's where all the bugs live is yeah. around brush and trees. Yeah, totally. Like on a lower water year, you got these big, <laughs> nice sweeping turns that are just gravel where you could get a wolf, you know, 200 yards away from the trees and, and be okay. So in the sense of the Kings, the conventional guys are going to do better. Silver's um, swinging, you know, little bunny leeches and stuff is deadly. So, yeah. and and then, then, like you say, we have these little tributaries and stuff that will go up with the, you know, the six weights. And uh, that time of year, the flesh really hasn't kicked in. So it's mm-hmm. pretty much a bead show. So yeah. Yeah. If, if you're, you know, if that's beneath you uh you won't like it but it's tie, I,
1: I, tie up a real fancy one just take a long yeah. time take a long time doing it
2: right right it's like i had a, a famous fly fisherman on I guided on the yuba 100 years ago uh. and he i remember at the end of the day he ended up catching some on hoppers i'd promised him it was going to be a hopper bite and it it wasn't because it wasn't warm enough in the morning Okay, and so we were i found some spawning salmon so we started catching them on beads well, behind them, and and then the hopper bite came on later. But I remember him saying, "Sure, glad we didn't have to fish." You know, it was essentially. I'm sure glad we didn't have to slum and fish eggs all the time. I'm like, wait a minute, we were matching the hatch. That's the that's the <laughs> whole like that's what they're eating. We were matching what they were eating. You know, but uh, <laughs> or you know, like
1: I talked to I talked to April Voki. Uh, yeah, about this, uh, just tie a leech onto the end of
2: that egg. And now you have an egg sucking leech and you can
1: feel way better about it. Right. <laughs> right? <Yeah.
2: laughs> well, and April's cool because she she goes and throws some spoons too, just to so you know, so yeah. she's not no, one dimensional. She, she
1: does it all too, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. Speaking of uh, fly fishing for trout and dollies up there, I had a guy who um brought his tenkara rod. Oh yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and I I have a couple buddies who are really into it. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. I can see like on a little creek.
1: It's kind of a new internet meme in the fly tying world. I mean, it's, like is it? new, it's kind of the yeah, the new, you know, it's shooting fish in a barrel kind of kind of comedy. Yeah, about about ten car fishing right now.
2: Mm. It it was interesting because he had like a you know six weight or something, and you know what's what's he got twenty feet of line or whatever it is yeah. on the end of this thing maybe not even that and like that. he you know got a little. Little indicator and a an egg pattern and he hooks like a six pound dolly. Yeah. And we're fishing a no, riffle because he's salmon are spawning in there. Yeah. And it maxes everything out. Yeah, you just gotta go run it. He's gotta run with it. Well, that's yeah. funny you say that because yeah. I said, All right, now what, Holmes? Yeah, yeah. He goes, Ah, my feet are my yeah. drag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he went taking off after it. I thought, uh, Yeah, maybe not. Did he pull it in? Yeah, he got yeah, it, but yeah. It was I mean, it was kind of cool. I guess it was sort of mono imano. Yeah. That's, you know? that's cool.
1: I'm down. Whatever, man.
2: But yeah, yeah. I mean, I am the last one to, you know, if you like to fish away, I who cares? You know, that's yeah. the thing that yeah. bothers me about especially like the, you know, the proceed the the conventional anglers, stereotypical perception of a fly angler of the, you know, looking down their nose at you. And it's like I don't, I, I could care less. Yeah. I, I mean, as long as it's, it's legal and ethical, um, you know, fishing yeah. whatever way gets you off, man, I don't care. I'm with you. you know, yeah. hey,
1: that's, I, I like, that's I like it to all. Do it. Yeah, for sure. Whatever. And uh, whatever works the best really, right. Like uh, whatever's going to uh, be most efficient, you know? And, yeah. Well, uh,
2: that's, yeah. that's my whole, you know, I, I stopped guiding fly fishing because it years ago, other than in Alaska, because it was getting frustrating when the guy you know, would say, Oh yeah, I'm very experienced. And then they couldn't throw it past my oar tip in the drift boat. And then it was my fault. We didn't catch anything. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, I love that. That's what I do in the summer, especially up here in tile when I have a minute, yeah. I, I go down to the local Creek. I have this little killer, little Douglas three weight, seven foot. Right. Do some small and I take, I take one hopper. Like yeah. if I lose it in a tree game over, that's buddy. It. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just i don't know that's uh that's really cool and then that's cool. my favorite thing to do up in togiak too is go fishing those tribs for those rainbows yeah. and uh that and dollies yeah it's really cool fun. yeah in mean, early spring you can get them on
1: uh on mice too yeah so uh, that's a future episode here talking about yeah. mice mice patterns um oh cool yeah it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun one to do i want to know about like a scary encounter or something. Cause I mean, you, you hear about the grizzly bears. We've been talking about bugs a lot, but there's a lot of like <laughs> a, um, life threatening type scenarios you can get into in Alaska. I would say like, what's the, is there anything, any close calls or something like that that you've had? Uh,
2: yes. And no, fortunately, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. I haven't, uh, I haven't any like real crazy bear. I mean, I've been around them a ton and, and generally speaking, unless you encounter, you know, a cub and, I mean, a sow and some cubs or, you know, an injured one or whatever. It's not, you know, the bear bear wants as much to do with you as you it. you know. I mean, it's kind of, we can agree that we'll just stay away from each other. But that being said, it's an odd sensation being one rung removed from the top of the food chain. (laughs) You know, it's not Mm -hmm. a... Not a spot that humans are comfortable with, typically. So we've had lots of bears. You know, we're a fishing camp up there, and in both the places I've worked, we're fishing camps. And so the bears come in; they smell all that food and the trash and this. They're like
1: Michelin, Michelin dining. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Well, we had one night at the lodge. It was the last night of the year. It was pouring rain. Everybody was going home, and I guess the bears sensed it. So these two bears came in, and they just raged. We have very limited Wi-Fi there. I mean, it kind of comes and goes. And mm-hmm. I had guests of mine from down here that are big, like big game hunters. And they like at two in the morning, they text me and it says, Hey, there's a bear down here. And I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> and well, I just lots my of phone down.
1: <laughs> lots of bears here guys.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I get another one. Hey, Hey, this bear, you know, do you guys have a gun or something? And, and I was like, what and I wrote? Are you feeling threatened? And they're like hell, yes, we are. He's shaking our cabin, so we go down there and scare the bear off. And I'm like you wussies, just <laughs> but, just,
1: uh, just yelling at them, clacking some pots of pans or something.
2: Yeah, they 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 know to run. Yeah. I mean, you hope.
1: These um, are all these are all grizzly bears.
2: All grizzlies. Yeah, we don't have any black bears there. So <laughs> what had happened is the, the bears had found that these guys' cabin was the closest to the kitchen, so where all the good smells are, and they had uh they just raged they ate an entire Traeger grill that night like oh. just you can imagine all the good flavors on a trigger yeah, they yeah. they ate two bags of ready mixed concrete that were sitting out which oh shit uh, digestive issues you would yeah, think yeah they probably didn't make it huh oh i, I think they did can i mean these see, think, the
1: bears can eat concrete
2: oh there's sherman tanks with fur man they're unbelievable they oh. i don't think there's much that can stop them so they ended up finding a gallon of of uh, vinegar, or, or two gallon bottle, or whatever, and drank it right oh, on wow. these guys on the boardwalk right in front of their yeah. the cabin. And so then they started ripping the the two by fours off the the deck to get to the the stuff that they missed. Down they, that drip. they went
1: they went crazy from the vinegar and just started ripping things apart.
2: Yeah, they were they were high on vinegar, I guess. And then they we had one of those like little one man pontoon boats that somebody must have. <laughs> had some you know touched a fish to the pontoon or something so they yeah. ate that and they were just raging wow. man but as far as scare, I mean we've had a lot of run-ins with with bears over yeah. the years but um, no,
1: no getting stranded anywhere anything like harrowing like that where you're like I'm out here for three days and like no, yeah so
2: yeah. I did a self-guided I've done a few of them over the years but self-guided float trip on god I can't remember the name of the river but it was in Katmai National Park which oh, right. Is named yeah. for zillions of bears and the bears weren't the issue so it was a deal where you get flown in it was just me and a buddy and this time i was smart enough unlike the time previously that i took another buddy of mine who knew how to row a drift boat um and he was a guy you know up on the eel and the smith and those so the, the time i'd gone before i was the only guy in the whole group who knew how to row a boat so i ended up you know being the guy the whole time and didn't get to fish so this time i took a buddy who could share the duties it was just me and him it was a seven day trip, and it was a forty something mile float. And it was billed as Man. Alaska's best dry fly fishing. Wow! The guy said, uh, "Stock up on like, there's no real hatch, but just bring stimulators and humpies yes. and hopper, just big yeah. bushy stuff, stuff the floats." So yeah. Yep. We loaded up on that, and they drop you off on a lake in a float plane. You float through, you know, just the absolute. They, they don't know.
1: They drop you off, and you're done until they get you a, a week yes. later or something yeah
2: yeah and we had no satellite phone or anything Man. so they you float 42 miles or whatever it was down to the next lake and that's where they can pick you up and it's an easy place because you can't miss the next lake you know so, yeah. so as we're flying in the guy goes hey look at that there was a tributary creek coming into the lake probably three miles above the outlet where we would normally start, you know, we normally drop people off. And he goes, God, those all fish. We're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Those are all fish. (laughs) So it's like, want me to drop you guys there and you can just row across the lake and start your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Drop us there. (laughs) We're all excited, you know, fired up. (laughs) Turns out we realized those were rocks that we saw from the air, but (laughs) there were no fish. So we had to row across this lake. And and the the point of all this was since he dropped us off at a different place on the lake instead of the outlet of the river, the pilot didn't realize, he told us this later, that the river was higher than they'd ever seen it in the 20 years they'd been dropping people off there. Of course it was. Yeah. 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 And so it was unbelievable. It was raging. And we were so looking forward to the first part of the trip because it goes through this just epic canyon where apparently the best dry fly fishing was. Yeah. Yeah. And we get in it, and after about an hour, I, I was riding up front. I look back at my buddy, I go, have you even seen a place where a trout could even sit? Yeah. He goes, No. I mean, it was just <laughs> Yeah. And and so the there was a rapid, a big rapid on that that was, you know, class four-ish, I guess, upper three, whatever it was. And I'd asked the pilot about that prior. I said, you know, we're we're experienced whitewater guys, but you know, we need to know what's coming because yeah, there's one rapid before you get to the Canyon. It's kind of the entrance to the Canyon. You can't miss it. And it's pretty straightforward because you guys know what you're doing. Well, it was a whole different animal at that flow and
1: the 20 year storm or whatever. Yeah. I
2: think it was just, you know, there'd been a big snow melt or something because there's still snow on the ground. But anyway, uh, this thing, we we get into it and uh, your life starts flashing before your eyes. I had a life tag on, but we we're both wearing chest waders Yeah. You know, which is probably not the smartest idea on a rafting trip now that now I think yeah. about it. Yeah. But this is, you know, day one and we start going down this thing and it's just huge. It it was one of those things that, you know, if you're white water rafting in the summer somewhere in civilization, would be like, Oh, this is cool, you know. But they were huge boulders that were Creating these big drops and then the big rapid that he had told us about most of it was covered up so it was just a big steep drop but the thing that was scary was it had one of those big keeper holes in it you know recirculating and I didn't think we were going to have the momentum to push through that I thought the raft was going to roll oh. and so as we got starting to descend down into this hole and, and about to hit the standing wave. I just threw myself forward in the front tube, trying to give us a little momentum yeah. and we kind of teetered there. Yeah. And then we, <laughs> and then we kept going. It was, you know, no fuss, <laughs> no muss, but it was, it was more the, Oh shit. What yeah. could have happened. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, if we had, you know, if that thing had sucked us back in and rolled us, my buddy, Kevin dies. He's in waiters. And we're in snowmelt water, you know, and it's raging. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the canyon started right below that. And so we might not have even been able to get out of the, out, out of the river. And it was so cold that in and, and, and me with a life jacket on, I probably wouldn't have gotten out either. Cause it was just ripping so fast that I would have been in the water so long before I got to somewhere that wasn't a canyon yeah. wall. And so that was one of those things. And so that's kind of set the tone for the day. We didn't <laughs> stop until about 3 a.m. that day. We ended up doing 27 of the 40-something miles we figured out later on the first day of the trip. We were running rapids in the dark that we didn't know. And it was just, it was horrifying. I remember my wife and kid's face popping up in my mind a lot. And I was like, that's probably not a good sign when I keep seeing their faces. yeah, We'd be going through, and there'd be times where it would take you two hours of rowing until you could change rowers. That's how crazy fast it was like there was no spot where you're like okay let's trade it was nuts and then the guy had warned us that there's lots of braids with like sweeper trees and stuff Mm -hmm. going across and man if we'd hit one of those in the dark yeah somehow you know we just like we'd we'd be going and like dude what do you see like i don't know i see kind of like a little white explosion up ahead i guess go left you know and and finally like at three three thirty whatever it was It, you know, it finally gotten dark, but we, we'd been looking for a place to stop. That's why we went so far. You could not find a place to stop Mm -hmm. because the water was up, you know, first it was a Canyon. So it was just the water up to Canyon walls. There were no beaches. Then once we got out of the Canyon, you're flowing through this, you know, tundra foresty stuff and the water's up into the trees. There's nowhere to get out. Finally, we found this little tiny beach and the the outfitter provides the raft and the camping gear and stuff. So we've never set this tent up and, you know, we're tired, frazzled beyond belief. You know, your nerves yeah. are just yeah. on fry, you know, mentally exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get, we get to this beach, my buddy, Kevin, we're trying to get this tent together and the mosquitoes. Oh my <laughs> God. The worst mosquitoes I've ever encountered. <laughs> and they're just you know, you look down, you got seventy of them on each hand, you know. Wow. And they're just and you're going yeah. crazy and you're just you're done already. And then you add all that.
1: And they're as big as <laughs> they're as big as hummingbirds out there, right?
2: That's that's what yeah. I mean, they're they're just that's oh, horrible. So we're trying to set this tent up because all we want to do is get in there and, and like shut the door and at least be out yeah. of the bugs. Yeah. And we can't get set up because there's a tent we're not familiar with we're tired and all that and it's dark and my buddy's like
0: fuck it i'm just gonna sleep under it
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that that was kind of the moment where uh, of levity and i started laughing yeah. I'm like, all right dude we're yeah. cool hang this on we like, rock- did a flashlight <laughs> and i looked at the you know do do what dudes don't do and looked at the instructions yeah. And yeah. got the tent set up and you had, you had to me. hit
1: rock bottom first though you
2: know? yes yeah. <laughs> we totally hit rock bottom <laughs> and we we woke up to a beautiful day and, and the crazy thing was the river was raging so loud that it was like this weird waterboard torture kind of thing. It was uh-huh. like audio torture. Uh-huh. It, oh, it was, it was like having to listen to the spice girls all the time. or something. Dude,
1: but that like at a, at a Supreme volume, right?
2: Oh yeah. It was, yeah. Just, it was finally the next day we got into some calmer water and it was, it was unbelievable. I've, I've never had water where the sound of water bugged me like oh, that. Man. I don't it's know. Just, if I God, make it
0: stop. Make it stop. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I could handle that, dude. I've uh, newly been experiencing some audio issues myself. Just um I had a repaired eardrum drum and oh yeah, mistreated my own ears with loud yeah. heavy metal for, you know, the rock rock and roll era, yes. a long time and I'd never wore earplugs and um yeah, I guess I'm kind of I don't have yeah. like a tinnitus, it's not like a ringing, although I do get a little bit of that like, you know, when everything's real quiet. Uh, yeah but but no certain sounds have been real grating on me and man if i have if i was stuck in a spot like that with that extreme volume yeah, i don't know i don't know if i would phase it out like if you filter it out somehow you're to survive to survive but i don't know it's crazy you never thought of that
2: yeah it was it was rugged so the next day we wake up and we've gotten through that part we get to where we're like god there's not gonna be any dry fly fish in here this thing's up in the trees you know mm-hmm. My, my the water was clear, but it was just it was up, and and then we started looking around, and all the little any soft spot there was a billion, like probably literally a billion, um, salmon fry that were migrating out. And my buddy goes, "Oh, well, I have some, you know, you know, fry or smolt patterns." I'm like, "Okay," yeah, yeah, and yeah. and in these little backwaters, the 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 bite was so awesome because a lot of times. The little soft spot would be directly downstream of you, and you throw out and let that raging current push it down mm-hmm. straightly, directly below you. And then they need strip back towards you, and it was like just straight line crushing bites. It was the only thing I could compare it to is I mean, pulling plugs for steelhead or something. Just, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like rip your elbow out of its socket. It they, they
1: were they were hungry because the water was so crazy. Maybe they hadn't been eaten.
2: Everybody yeah, up, well, and and they were whatever. just, they were just gorging because yeah. the that that high water might have uh, sort of triggered the whole out migration of the smol. This probably okay. what was, yeah. and so they were just feeding like crazy, and and just because the way it laid out, a lot of these spots you'd have to swing it all the way down to where it's directly below you, mm-hmm. and then you start stripping back towards it. It was just, rawr! it was just so awesome. Bow. We 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 caught so many fish. It was you know hundred. Oh, we, we actually counted one day because we're like, how many are we catching? I bet we're catching 100 and so we did and it was you know over hundred of these three yeah. to six or eight pound rainbows and dollies a day. and it was it was insane. It was the, probably the best fishing he and I both uh, said, you know that's probably the best fishing we've ever done. It was wow. It was incredible. Yeah. and and so because we'd gone so far, so fast you know um, you know we we did whatever you know 27 of the 40 something miles the first day mm-hmm. we we had to really slow our roll yeah. down to
1: <laughs> a, dial it back a little bit yeah.
2: yeah so we would you know get up leisurely and then we'd fish and have a nice breakfast and then we'd float like a quarter mile stop i think you guys earned
1: like, earned that leisurely end of the trip though from the yeah beginning
2: well yeah and that was six days of that so the last day though so we get down and this was is not not harrowing but well it kind of was because the bugs i mean the bugs were horrific the whole time it was like heading net country the whole mm-hmm. whole trip which i never wear head net in togiac and this was yeah it was mandatory yeah but anyway we, we had that fishing all the way down and we just stop and pull over and have a fire and put these two lawn chairs up and just shoot the shit for a couple hours and nice. get, get the bug again. So it was pretty leisurely. So by the time we got down to day seven, well, night six, anyway, um, it's like, okay, he's picking us up tomorrow. He said he'd try to be there by nine. So let's just, let's float down to the spot and just, you know, we've caught, I mean, our cup runneth over, you know, it's like, what what else do we need to do? We've got enough fish. Let's just kind of get down there early and we'll break down our gear and set up our camp and, and just chill. Have a, Mm -hmm. just, you know, hopefully get out of here early tomorrow. Well, what the pilot had said is when you get down to the, where I'm going to pick you up, you'll see like three aluminum John boats on the bank. And and it wasn't actually down to the lake. We were like two or three miles above the, you know, the next lake, but there's a wide spot on the river. And that's where a few daily fly out lodges fly their people in mm-hmm. and they bring a little jet jet motor and slap it on one of those John boats and then they run people around on that lower end of the river for half a day kind of deal. So we did encounter at the the last day a couple of jet boats and stuff. But anyway, we got we got down there and saw the jet boats and we're like, okay yeah well, we'll we'll just have dinner and chill and just have a leisurely evening. Again, the water was high, and you're sitting uh, as you're entering the next lake, the gradient has really flattened out. So as far as the eye can see, again, it's like a rice field. Yeah, there was, just, nowhere yeah, there yeah. was nowhere to set up There was nowhere to set up a tent. It was from six inches to three feet deep mm. everywhere. Wow. And so we're like, oh crap yeah and why why did we hurry down here and so, Guys snuggle,
1: snuggle up on the boat
2: yeah so well that's i said well i mean i guess we're just gonna have to stay up all night uh-huh. so i said let's row down to that lake and go fish the lake all right so we rode down not knowing if we're gonna be able to row back up this raging river mm. and we go out and it it's kind of getting you know darkish it's twilighty and we're we're chilling out and it was kind of cool was, I, I feel like it was kind of like the size of donner lake okay and but it was, it was really a cool film. It was just a calm evening. And there's not a light, like it's weird to be on a lake where there's not a billion dollar house, every, you know, (laughs) every, uh, 50 yards, you know, on the bank, it was just like, wow, this is, you know, what probably California was like before, before people got here, you know, just, it was, it was wild to think, God, I don't even know where the nearest human is right now. And that's such a rare, that's so rare rare thing. Yeah. but so we went and we we thought we'd catch some fish on the drop-off where the river came in we didn't so we i said you know there's some weeds over there have you ever caught a pike on top water he goes no I'm like all right <laughs> so we went and caught some pike and then the bugs are just fierce and then the the wind or not the wind the the sun went down and so you just couldn't see anymore so well, let's roll back up to the campsite maybe we can just you know put our hoods on or our head nets put some rubber gloves on. And we'll just have to try to sleep on this raft. And so we row back up, and that takes a while, and which is good because we're just killing time at this point. We get back up there, and it's probably like four in the morning or something. We we try to lay on the tubes of this raft, and we both lay down for like 30 seconds. It's like, dude, I can't do this. Me neither. The sound of the bugs was uh, just yeah just too much symphony. And so,
1: mosquito symphony
2: <laughs> it was it was mosquito metallica yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on 11 man metallica
1: did <laughs> the symphony orchestra thing man metallica, that's, that's right, right. that's right in go. san francisco yeah. Yeah.
2: but uh so we here's the <laughs> like this was the miserable part so we decided the only way we would be able to get some sleep as if we took turns rowing each other up and down the river for like half hour stints <laughs> yeah, just to have enough sort of <laughs> momentum to keep the bugs to a dull yeah. roar and so yeah. one long guy would sit in the bow and like try to catch 20 minutes of sleep and then we'd rotate and so we rode up and down up and down up and down the river all night <laughs> wow. and then the guy finally came and we're just like okay over And it took about even though that was the one of the coolest most epic adventures it took about three years before we even spoke of it again <laughs> yeah. well
1: like, is, wait, is this the same story though? we were ch- chatting a little bit before i started recording um you mentioned a, sh- a shooting star and i don't know if you mentioned it during the actual telling of the story on the podcast was
2: oh that part, was that part no, of the, no, the shooting the shooting star was the uh, first day of guiding
1: oh okay i got these two stories mixed up
2: my bad that's all right there's been a lot of stories yeah
0: I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot.
1: Well, that it was leading into something. I was trying to make a, a fancy segue because that's kind of a paranormal experience. And I always ask all my guests if they've ever had one. And I wanted to ask you if they're, you know, time up in Alaska, time in the woods on the, on the Trinity, all over, all the places you've been. Have you Have there been anything weird, weird enough that, like, you know, gave you goosebumps or maybe something you actually saw or experienced or heard or what?
2: No, I you know, I haven't had that. I remember camping on the Mad River one time in a canyon, me and two buddies, and we heard what we were all pretty sure was a woman being stabbed. Whoa. <laughs> it's it's just not, not exactly
1: paranormal or supernatural, but just terrifying. No, yeah. Terrifying, yeah. and you're out in
2: the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we realized that it was a uh That's the mountain lion Uh, all night. And we woke up, what kind of brought it all to light was we woke up and we spooked one across the river and I was thinking, I wonder if we got up just in time. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that I haven't had a whole lot of,
1: you needed to like mix in like a, a peacock call. In that, yeah. in that sound so, so you have like the the child yelling help along with that woman screaming like they're being stabbed and it's all sorts yeah. of weird, weird things
2: going on here. yeah the, those things are creepy but you know i spent a lot of time on the trinity river right mm-hmm. in the middle of bigfoot country and yeah
1: right in the thick of where like the patterson film
2: was was made right like uh yes in you, fact i i had some guys on the trinity river one year uh turns out they were bigfoot aficionados oh, and yeah like yeah. like me. <laughs> and they said they said, Oh, they just casually I didn't know they were Bigfoot fans at this point, but they said, yeah. uh, oh, where do you stay up here? I said, Oh, a place called Bluff Creek. And they're like, Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 What?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The Bluff Creek? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Like they wanted to get off the river. Cut their salmon fishing trip short. You just go, hell yeah! So I could show them Bluff Creek, and we go got to the bridge. And they stood there, and they you know told me that's where that greeny <laughs> yeah. was. And they were, yeah. they were just, uh, it was kind of like, oh, it's like going to going to Yankee Stadium or something. Yeah, totally, man. That's rad. That's funny. They man. were, they were, and, and you know, and if you're a if you're a squatcher, yeah, or a Bigfoot enthusiast, as I like to say, every every one of you folks has some little bit of compelling evidence that makes those of us who aren't so sure there's Bigfoot go, Hmm. You know, <laughs> like yeah. this, these guys had me, cause they're like, you believe, you know, you think there's Bigfoot? I'm like, hell no. Yeah. And then they yeah. start telling you these things and you're like, Hmm. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, uh, You
1: just got to find which side of the line you fall on, you
2: know? Yeah. Well, which, which box you're going to put yourself in. <laughs> There's a there's a canyon on the Klamath River just in that same area where Bluff Creek is, and just a little above it, and it's called the Red Cap Gorge. And it's just once you get in a drift boat and you make it alive through the first two rapids, there's no getting out. I mean, you're in this just sheer walls, and it. To me, I always tell people, I think this is where Bigfoot lives. (laughs) You know, there's there's just like it's so remote, and so I was thinking. (laughs) I told my buddy back at who's this big husky guy. I said, you know screw this fish and stuff. Let's run Bigfoot tours.
1: Dude, yeah. There you go. No <laughs> I expect- said, you know, You'll never have the expectation to, to provide a, a, the the fish in this yeah, scenario that the Bigfoot, right? You are you just got to take them along for the ride.
2: Right. And, you know, you you make a little footprint in the sand the day before.
1: Oh, no, man. You can't be a hoaxer. Just oh. gotta take them out and have a, It's a tour.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Because my thought was, well, I'll put my buddy Dale in a Bigfoot suit. <laughs> yeah. About once every 10th trip. <laughs> All you got to do is like at twelve oh two, yeah. look out, you know, go off of a distant <laughs> rock.
0: <laughs>
1: Man, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what the the amount of money has been made on on
2: situations like that, you know, over the years. Yeah, I mean it. It actually would be a really fun. I mean, without without yeah. the hoaxy part, because totally. it's 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 super. I mean, for a a non uh, Bigfoot believer like myself, uh, going through there, you go, huh. well, if something lived out here this would be the place he'd probably live you know
1: it's a it's a fun one to entertain i love everything weird and conspiracy supernatural ghosts i love all that stuff i read about, totally. it, read about it all, all the time man and, and um i go on you know different kicks here and there and yeah i you know, kind of digging yep. into it and i mean i think i've mentioned it before with, with bigfoot though i think that the most compelling thing for me is just the sheer cultural like widespread cultural significance of it where there's like stories of the same type of thing across so many different cultures or so for so long totally like i mean there's is enough for me to go okay maybe and i don't have anything past maybe you know i don't know what it is and yeah uh, so i I like entertaining it i love talking about it and figuring oh yeah trying to trying to read about it and stuff but yeah you know um i guess since this is the fly tying podcast i should ask (laughs) you um what, what was the last fly that you tied (laughs)
2: <laughs> i actually it was very recent during uh silver season oh yeah time, or actually no i was more recent than that over at pyramid i tied a well i wanted and, you
1: to i wanted you to say on that alaska trip that was so, so bad like that was the last <laughs> one
2: <laughs> no i i have a fly tying kit over at my trailer in pyramid yeah. as we speak so nice. um uh, two e chub sort yeah. of close semi-close facsimile. like i say i can a little bit of marabou and mm-hmm. um you know crosscut <laughs> bunny yeah. i can uh i can do okay it's i've tied a lot of attractor patterns over the years for coho and, and kings and that stuff where i i, I have fat sausage fingers and <laughs> and <laughs> declining vision so so two, two
1: things that you need you need the opposite <laughs> of for yeah so five,
2: when you get into like, I'm not going to tie a, a size 21 zebra medge. I can okay. tell you that right now. I couldn't even tie it on, let alone tie it. Yeah. And so I, I I actually was thinking about it the other day. I would love to, I've never taken a class. I've just winged it. And so I think that's, that's part of it. I I never had the foundation of, you know, really, like it, I'd probably be a lot better if I actually knew what I was doing, you know, palmering and all that good stuff. Yeah. I, I still don't
1: know all that stuff, man. I still, I'm still learning. I've only been doing it for like three or four years, you know? And like, I don't, I'm very not technical about it, very freestyle about it. And I'll go down certain things and, and dig into this or that. And I'll take a little class here and there or something, but
2: yeah, I, I love it, man. A lot of fun. Yeah. I, I mean, even if you don't fish, it's a cool mm-hmm. art art form, you know, for sure. and I don't know when I'll have time to do it, but I, I was thinking about that, I guess when I was tying stuff over there, you know, like be nice to kind of graduate past leeches, yeah, <laughs> <You
1: know? yeah. laughs> or, or maybe not, man. I I fish leeches mostly. I think, <laughs>
2: I, yeah, I, well, I'm up all the time. Kind of a catch-all, you know. Lots of things eat leech, leachy, fishy-looking things. So it's something that I I'm a little barbaric in my techniques, but mm-hmm. I've caught you know zillions of fish on on uh, god-awful creations of my yeah. own. So <laughs>
1: I, I thought it would be something that you maybe hadn't done in a long time. It's cool to know that you're still doing it. What, what do you, what do you think are a few things that fly tires and anglers can learn from conventional anglers? Ah,
2: uh, you know, it's interesting. There was a, uh, unfortunately he's passed away now, but, uh, Bill Lowe was a yeah pretty well-known guide in our area. Yeah,
1: fly kind guy, of a, Kind of a local legend. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Great guy. Just always happy and good mood. But he, uh, he said, Hey, let's, uh, uh, will you take me steelhead plug fishing sometime? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Why? Cause well, you know, we, we do a lot of swinging for steelhead and I, you know, you guys are more effective at it with the plug. And I just want to see your colors and you know, the actions. And, yeah. and so I think there's a lot of stuff both ways that, that can be figured out like, you know, we do a lot of bobber fishing on uh, you know, with conventional gear for, steelhead and salmon and, and you, know, <laughs> you know the drag free you know the mend and the drag free yeah. drift is uh-huh. is essential and obviously that's uh something that the, the fly angler um, oftentimes is more more efficient at and so because i'll go okay guys you know you know i'll be telling guys how to bottle fish okay you just want to mend like your fly fish and then yeah. they look at you
1: why would you think that is because there's more um there's a more manual nature to it. You can tweak things a little bit differently to mend uh, more specifically in different ways, easier or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think so. Because with uh, with a spinning rod, you don't have the weight of that line to yeah, kind of manipulate it stuff. Yeah, and uh, so you're that's where
1: your bobber bobber helps you, right? That's the only thing moving you over.
2: Right, is right. It... So, and some length to your rod, but yeah. Um, but yeah, there's I, you know that's why I think it's it's just fishing so cool because there's so many ways to to skin the cat and and to pigeonhole yourself in one is just limiting your yourself you know when i when i talk about fly fish and people go oh do you fly fish too i'm like oh yeah i you know i don't do it professionally other than you know in alaska where it's easy <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know it's kind of my little little thing i like to do just for fun but <laughs> My famous quote is, uh, I like fly fishing, but I like catching fish better. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as you said earlier, there are, you know, it's whatever tool works best. There are yeah. times or, or, what you or, or what you enjoy. Right. Yeah, either one. Right. Right. But you know, if you're going small stream trout fishing or something, which I think is kind of where fly fishing originated, mm-hmm. um, there's hard to beat some sort of aquatic invertebrate that's tied on a hook, you know, yeah. out of feathers and glue. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get throw a Panther Martin spinner in there that, you know, little hair's ear or something is going to be something that looks a lot more like what they're eating. And so the, yeah. the parts, like, I, I, I guess I'm sort of, I just love small, small stream stuff. That's <laughs> what I grew up doing. But when I look at, and, and I, you know, I'm not dissing on anybody because whatever floats your boat, yeah. but the kind of fly fishing I'm not interested in and I haven't done it. So maybe, maybe I shouldn't, but you know, kind of like the trolling a bunch of teasers for Marlin mm. and then you get one right up behind the boat and you flop up. You don't even really. Yeah. Yeah. It. I hear you. Yeah. That's to me. I, it's like, I don't, I don't need to catch one on a fly bad enough to want to do that. i just, if I'm going to catch a Marlin, just catch it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So some, I, some of that stuff you. is, uh again not for me you know if if you're into it more power to you i you know it doesn't bother me but just i i enjoy i think as a lot of people do the the whole sort of flow of the cast and watching something drift and 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 that kind of stuff so yeah uh, that's
1: that's why i've kind of gravitated towards the spay casting stuff because i i cast a whole lot more than i catch and it's way more way more enjoyable for me and but that being said there's not a you can't you can't do that kind of fishing everywhere. And so I go to different spots and I'm going to have to do something else. And I'm totally open to doing it, whatever, whatever is ethical and efficient and stuff. And if I get to, if I have a choice, I'll go somewhere where I can do the kind of fishing that I want to do, you know, Sure. but but yeah, that's, what's so cool about it. Just like you said, if you're open to it and you're not going to be closed minded about one way or the other, you can have a blast anyway. And there's so many different ways to do it.
2: You know, absolutely. The first time, I ever even uh, knew what a you know was introduced to spay rod was on the Nushagak River back in oh god this is the late uh, late nineties early two thousands mm-hmm. and Mike Peruse who is the current G Loomis rod rep in the Northwest he was my roommate and and he was guiding too and all the guides had a little see who can catch one of these kings on a fly contest mm-hmm. and so we had a lunch break and we all took off up river to this gravel bar and mike had these crazy long spay rods whatever those were you know and i had a single-handed you know nine weight or something and i'm out there <laughs> to the tops of my waders you know, splat behind me splat you know just trying to trying to uh yeah. making a you know Get it far enough out to get a get a swing. Mike comes out with this spay rod. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, "What the hell did you just do?" And he's like, "Swing, swing, oh fish yeah. on!" I'm like, yeah. "Oh man, oh, <laughs> that is a tool yeah. for this big water." I yeah. was just, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> I was like, I, "I had never even heard of the thing yeah. before. Obviously, they've been around in Scotland and whatever forever, but..." You know that that's classic oh, yeah. example though of oh mm-hmm. well that's another tool in the old
1: <laughs> and you even t- and you even talk about something that does sound boring kind of or maybe just I don't know less sporty you know like the kind of uh, teasing in the big marlin or something and throwing a fly at it to get it like the one that that does entice me there is the mako shark fishing like where oh. like they do that and they bring they chum chum in the shark whatever and that's coming up in your sight fishing tossing it yeah. and watching oh man i can i
2: yeah. got Oh I gotta, that's uh, gotta do like it. Conway Conway Bowman does Yeah yeah i'm the hoping he's uh
1: hoping he's on the show this season i've, I've been working on oh, it, yeah. so yeah
2: Yeah that looks fun well that's that's a little different cuz you're you're uh casting to a uh, you know <laughs> yeah thing that's moving around you know i
1: to your worst nightmare you're cast into a
2: nightmare yeah well we used to go exactly we used to go (laughs) to tomales bay and fish for leopard sharks Uh with, with 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 bait yeah and one year i don't know if the tide was just right or whatever they were cruising around just over these these eelgrass beds you know with their dorsals out and just feeding on stuff i don't know what they're hunting down but i thought oh that would be cool to catch one of those on a fly but you yeah, could they flop them, yeah, 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 yeah. streamer out in front of one and and get them to go and we never got around to doing oh, yeah. it but yeah it, I want that I, was wanted,
1: I want to do that for sure I see it on Instagram I just don't oh, get, really? I don't get down yeah. to the bay area to to do it you know different. yeah kids and jobs and life kind of get in the way of that stuff you know little things <laughs> yeah. dude, dude, jd that's that's all the questions i have for you man we did them all okay
2: well that's that's all the answers i got for you so good
1: no uh, thank you thank, <laughs> you thank you so much for spending some time with me dude i appreciate it big time and, oh uh, man
2: i'm honored thank you
1: yeah and um wishing you and your family happy new year um we're almost there you know i hope 2023 is is great for the both of us my dude
2: ah, I'm, I'm down with that absolutely yeah. well thanks for having me matt and uh, it's good to talk to you as always and we need to go fishing one these days let's do it
1: jd and i could have kept talking about fish and other crap for a couple more hours i hope you enjoyed something a little different this episode i know the show is called secret society of fly tires and jd may not exactly fit that mold specifically but i'm hoping that's why you listen to this dumb podcast i try to do things a little differently I hate rules.
2: So don't invite me to game night.
1: Don't tell me what to do, unless you're telling me to enjoy a delicious meal or something. Then I might do exactly what you tell me to do.
0: How much raw chicken can you eat if you get sick? I don't know the answers.
1: You might be saying to yourself, why did Matt interview someone who doesn't tie a whole lot of flies on this fly tying podcast when he hasn't interviewed my favorite fly tyre? I just told you that I do what I want. Maybe me doing what I want and your favorite fly-tire will intersect someday though. I still love to hear who you'd like me to talk to, or ideas I should talk about on the show. Email me. DM me. I'm available. There's lots of big fly-tying celebrities out there that I want to talk to. But remember, I'm going to be doing this show forever. So I got time. I just learned through social media that award-winning actor Vigo Mortensen is a fly angler, and he even brought his rod on the set of one of the Lord of the Rings movies. He was fishing between scenes. I'm going to add him to my list, and I can almost guarantee you that he'll never be on the show. But that's his problem, not mine. He's going to need me someday. And one of these days, one of these celebrities is going to agree to come on the show, and they're going to nerd out about tying flies, and then I'm going to ask them about their paranormal experiences, and they're going to spill a bunch of Hollywood Illuminati secrets just so you watch. That is my real dream, and don't laugh at it. It's the perfect goal for my ridiculous show. I just realized that we're five episodes into season two and I haven't even asked you if you like the new logo yet. My brother gave me a little refresh and I love it. Colors will change when I feel like changing them. He gave me some options like a swell bro would. He also wanted me to tell you that there's a secret butthole in a layer of the Photoshop file behind the new logo. And maybe even more extreme pornographic images and videos in there somewhere too. You'll never know. Stare at it for long enough though and you might see something.
2: Don't just stare at it, eat it
1: some things are best left unseen though right seriously it might be a butthole that you don't want to see and there are probably more of those out there than buttholes that you do want to see i'll leave you with that little tidbit of wisdom and say thank you for listening you're sticking with me through thick and thin and i appreciate you for that i'm going to drop in some information on orgs that i feel are doing their best to help others find positivity in this dark hellhole of insanity now and end this episode Project Healing Waters brings a high-quality, full-spectrum fly fishing program to an ever-expanding number of veterans in need at over 200 locations nationwide. Project Healing Waters programs meet regularly throughout the year with volunteers teaching the basics and advanced techniques while building long-term relationships. It's much more than a one-time fly fishing trip. The program provides basic fly fishing, fly casting, fly tying, and rod building classes for participants whose skills range from beginners who have never fished before to those with prior fly fishing and tying experience. All fly fishing and tying equipment is provided to the participants at no cost. Fishing trips, both one day and multi-day, are also provided free of charge to participants. Visit projecthealingwaters.org to learn more. Fishing the good fight is breaking down walls, smashing taboos, and building community. They believe that experiences in nature are an important part of caring for one's mental health. Less than 20% of men struggling with mental illness and or substance abuse are receiving professional support. The combination of a healthy therapeutic outlet, talk therapy, and a strong community will lead to mental well-being. Men face specific challenges when it comes to addressing mental health issues. According to Mental Health America, six million men living in the U.S. suffer from depression. In a National Center for Health Statistics Studies, nearly one in 10 men reported experiencing some form of depression, but less than half sought treatment. 70% of all people who die by suicide are men. It's from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Men are often reluctant to seek help, particularly for depression, and are far less likely to access professional mental health services than women. Men make up less than 25% of people treated for depression and or substance abuse. For a lot of men, fishing the Good Fight program, such as a retreat, is the first time they've opened up about struggles they faced, and 100% of men who attended a recent retreat indicated that they would seek professional help after the treatment. If you've ever wondered about your own mental health, and wanted to improve your quality of life, Fishing the Good Fight can provide the tools, resources, and support to guide you along your wellness journey.
0: Fishingthegoodfight.org has more information. This episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires is brought to you by S**t. S**t is a brand new product that is sure to wow you and everybody you know. Act fast. This introductory offer won't last long. S**t is flying off the shelves and supplies will soon be depleted. Buy your shirt today and be one of the first people in your area to be a s**t owner. You'll love it, I promise. Buy s**t now. This episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires is brought to you by Guide Sourced Artisanal Fish Goo straight from Alaska. This delectable canned product comes straight from the fish processing plants in Alaska. and is canned nearly in accordance with some FDA guidelines. It's liquid at room temperature, but very viscous. It can sometimes thicken and harden at cooler temperatures, but you don't need to keep it in the fridge. It's shelf-stable product, not actually shelf-stable, and it's ready to eat for any occasion. You can even feed this goo to a baby if you wanted if you had one i mean if you had a baby you could fill its bottle with this goo and it could drink it to get smart and strong that's all i'm trying to say please note that this is not a real advertisement and the company brand entity or product mentioned in the preceding ad in no way endorses agrees with or knows about this podcast